risking his life for the public's right to be informed. Paperboy rides the sidewalk of this land delivering papers. He could destroy us. Hey everybody, this is Doc Mac from the Galloping Ghost Arcade, and you're listening to Pie Factory. Hi everybody, welcome once again to Hi. another episode, episode, episode of Pie Factory Podcast. Today Podcast. I'm going to go with my, yes, today I'm going with my rap name, MC Pure Organic Ice. Yo, you see, because I decided I'm going to start selling gourmet ice and um, one of my uh, Facebook friends suggested uh, selling homeopathic ice, so Ooh. I don't know what to add to that. Yeah, go figure. But uh, yeah, this is... Uh, MC Pure Organic Ice. You can just call me Ice tonight, for short. So, yeah, from the... And, and that's ironic, coming from the sweltering hinterlands of Morris, Illinois, where on the second floor of the Pie Factory Tower, we do not have air conditioning. But I do have a little Ooh. fan in the background. Um, I'm not Ooh, going so to fair. say what it's doing. Less said, the better about that. And I also have a nice, refreshing iced tea. Oh, I have a nice, refreshing watermelon shandy, courtesy of Jake Lennon Kugel Brewing Company of Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, a brewing legend since 1867. Ding. I have got to try that. I won't, I'm, if it, we don't go record too late, I might go pick some up. But, um, yeah, so there you go. This is uh, Ice. So, hello. <laughs> hello. And who are you? Who are you? Well, I woke up in a Soho bar and uh, policeman Did a policeman know your name? Yeah. Yeah. We've he done that joke before, by the way. Go, yeah, I know. It's we, That was like uh, way back. You yell um, at me for doing jokes that we've already done. Yeah. I have that's because you do the ones we've done like 85 times. You only did that once. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, let's see. My name that's is Tommy, to, uh, and I've become aware this year. There, is that better? Uh, yeah, sure. Except my name isn't really Tommy. It's um, it's it's um the Sean. I'm 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 a Sean. And I made I just voice realized, cracker. I, don't think I've been... I think I'm getting Andy Ryerson disease. My voice cracked when I said that. Hmm. It's called puberty. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I just realized I don't know your middle name. Good. I've known you for twenty some years, and I don't know your middle name. Yep. Oh, you know what? We'll have to give you a middle name with, with in like quotation marks, like Manos. So Sean Manos. Well, I live in Chicago, and it's a chicago thing to have a quotation middle name so yeah mm-hmm. and speaking of how long we've known each other two weeks from yesterday will be the 25th anniversary of the winger war event that happened when i met you and bob and some other people and i barely know my birthday 25 years wow. 25 years so that would have been like what 25 years ago i, I think i think wow huh Math, how does it work? <laughs> I think that was the same winger war when uh, Team Sub Genius, I think it was operated by Rob, hit me in a, in a certain part of my anatomy with a water balloon from about 300 feet away. Oh, yeah, and, I remember that. Yeah. And the thing is, like, when a water balloon ex- like has that much time to fly and ergo pick up friction and all that and it slows down, it doesn't really hurt when it's that far away. It really doesn't. I didn't even notice. I was like, oh, crap. Did they just hit me there? <laughs> Instead of saying, ouch. So what have you been up to? Six foot two. Oh, awesome. What have you been playing? Oh, man. it. Let me tell you something. The two weeks between 
now and the last time we recorded have been basically a goldmine of gaming for a Sean over here. Oh, do tell. Oh, sure, sure. Because after, I think after, I think six months after the pre-orders were taken, the new Atari Age homebrews were shipped to subscribers. Mm -hmm. I bought a subscription last year for two years, so I I got first dibs. How much are subscriptions? I really need to do that. You really should. You really should. Because I've been around there for a long time. Seriously, if you like the Atari Age site, and if you can swing it, get a subscription. It's, It's... just it's worth it just to give Albert the support for that. It really is, but it was also worth it to the get gaming uh, community. He really does. He's he, he he's a heck of a good guy. He really is. And yeah, uh, we've met I him got, a couple of times, or well, the one time, but yeah, the one time, yeah, yeah. We met him at Midwest Gaming Classic before Long he deemed ago. that that uh, the Milwaukee suburbs were too far away for him. Yet Portland isn't, so I don't know. Well, <laughs> he he made. Well, you know what? He is an avid mountain biker, and he has taken That's trips true. to the northwest. That is very true. Yeah, um, so Portland is a, maybe he Port, combines. Yeah, seriously, like Port Chicago was recently named the friendliest bike city in the world. But seriously, I think Portland is the bike capital of the world. At their at their airport, there's actually a bike assembly area. Really? Yeah. Well, that's neat. Yeah. So what was I saying? Oh yeah, so I got from Atari, I got five Atari seventy eight hundred homebrews last week. Five. I got two from Good Deal Games. Uh, one was called uh, Shoot the UFO two thousand fifteen, done by Breck Brixius, who is also known as Silicon Dioxide or SiO two on Atari Age. It's basically kind of a watered down version of uh, the Intellivision Astro Blast game. And when I ordered that. Michael over at Good Deal Games emailed me. He said, hey, we're having a special. You want the E.T. book cart, too? And (laughs) thing is, I actually was considering that for a moment when I went on the website because I was like, you know, I'm eventually going to have to get that thing, but I don't know if I want a book cart. And I was like, you know what? Heck with it. Sure, I'll take it. So I got those two things. And I got to tell you, it it seems weird, but the E.T. book cart, I am really, really enjoying that thing. Really? Now, that was... 2600 or 7800 70 well it's a 70 it's this particular cart is built for the 7800 it won't run on the it, there is a 2600 version of it somewhere i think the atari okay. age store used to sell it i don't know if they still do but the 7800 i mean yeah it it usually doesn't appeal to me to fire up a gaming console to have it just be text i was sucked in i really was and I just sat there and just read every damn letter of it. I was, it was just really fascinating. There are interviews with Howard Scott Warshaw. Now you said you got them from. Uh, you said you got it from Stone Age Gamer. Good Deal Games. Oh, Good Deal Games. Good Deal okay. Games. Stone Age Gamer. Why am I thinking of them? I think I know I bought something from them. They do um, primarily like homebrew hardware for slightly newer systems <gasps> like NES and Sneeze. Yeah, I bought my yeah. Sega Master System EverDrive from them. And, yeah, uh, that's yeah, they a do all the EverDrive stuff. And they actually have a podcast, and I've yes, never listened I've to never it. I've never heard it. i got to listen I to need it. To, yeah, I need to listen to it. I heard Ferg so, talk uh, about them in his latest mm-hmm. episode. It's like, yeah, i got to subscribe. But, yeah, I got those from Good Deal Games. And oh, I, one thing I got to say, this is kind of a spoiler, but hey, one of the interviews with Scott, with Howard Scott Warshaw on the book cart, the interviews were done before the Alamogordo documentary happened. So before Ooh. they dug uh-huh. it up, 
at the very end of the interview, they say, so tell me what you think about Alamogordo. He said, I don't buy it. I don't think this, I don't think that actually happened. He said, there's no uh, way that would have happened yeah. without us knowing it. But it's like, oh man. <laughs> and I also got the three new Atari 7800 homebrews from Atari age. I got Crystal Quest featuring Bentley Bear, which I think is the official title of it. Crystal Quest featuring Bentley Bear. I got uh, Super Circus Atari Age. Both of those are Bob DiCrescenzo games. And I got Time Salvo. And that's actually spelled T colon M-E Salvo. But I verified it is pronounced Time Salvo. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of like Robotron. Uh, hold on. This week in Robotron. Okay. Yeah, like I was saying, that game is a lot like Robotron, but with a grid. So you have to maneuver around kind of a, a maze grid, but it works the same way. In fact, I think the characters are pretty much the same. You got the uh, the evil brain enemies. Uh, you have to uh, rescue people from robots and things. It's a, it's. In fact, it has a dual joystick option on it. So mm -hmm. yeah, and, and I got to tell this. I was going to say, for those listening, these games were released early for Atari Age subscribers, but by the time you hear this, they will be in the Atari Age store. Oh, most likely they will be, yeah. Yeah, I, but seriously, you got to get these freaking games. They are amazing. They are really good. And I got to tell this story. I worked at home. The, the, these games arrived Monday, July 3rd. I worked at home that day for various other reasons. I think, oh, yeah, I know what it was. I had to take my dog for an ultrasound, so it was easier for me to just work from home and then leave for the ultrasound. By the way, she's perfectly fine, in case anybody's oh, concerned. Oh, that's good. So, yeah. Uh, Ruthie, yeah is the, a, Ruthie is a doll. Oh, she is, yeah. Yeah, the thing that they I were afraid, they were afraid that she would have had Cushing's or something, but it turns out she's like, they said, yeah, everything looks good. It sounds to me like she's just aging gracefully. It's like, okay, good. So, so yeah, she's nice and healthy. Um, but anyway... The games from Good Deal Games arrived in the mailbox, and there was another piece, there was a piece of paper from the post office that said, sorry, we missed you. And I was like, what? Because my wife and I were both home, and our door buzzer works. Mm -hmm. Unless maybe that one, maybe just by an astonishing coincidence, when the postal carrier was there, maybe that one moment it didn't work. I don't know. But nonetheless, it said... Sorry, we missed you. You got a piece of registered mail that we're holding for you. You can either sign here and let us drop it off here, or you can go to the post office and pick it up. Well, I knew I wasn't going to be able to pick it up that day. I knew that, I, but I, I still at least wanted to know when I was getting those games. So I rode my bike over to the post office and got in line, asked the lady, I said, hey, when can I usually pick this stuff up? She said, okay, well, Tuesday's, a, tomorrow's a holiday. Wednesday, they should be available. So... I asked my wife, I said, hey, uh, would you mind going to the post office and picking this stuff up for me on Wednesday? She, she's a teacher, so she's home during July and August. Well, all of July and part of August, I should say. And she's like, okay, I'll, yeah, I can do that when I go out and run my errands. So Tuesday happens, and, I, and people are posting about, yay, you got my stuff from Atari Age. I'm excited. And I, I commented. I said, well, mine didn't arrive. The post office is holding it for me, and, they're, and they put a registered mail certificate in the mailbox. Albert said, I didn't send them registered. Ooh. And I was like, really? Well, maybe they just checked off the wrong box or something. No big deal. So I go to work on Wednesday and there's a box from Atari age on my desk. And I open up. Sure enough, it's the three homebrews I was expecting. Mm -hmm. So all I could think all day was what the hell was that registered mail? 
And could it have been could it have been a bill from Hyde? That's what I was thinking, but I had just seen him. I had just seen him literally Hmm. that day. Hmm. Interesting. He he somehow manages to track me down in the red line. He he Mm -hmm. can find my my car, but but he didn't say anything to me. Um, So I'm thinking, okay, the what what are the other possible things I could be getting registered mail for? Well, I could be getting sued, or I could be getting evicted. That's the only things I could think of. So I'm living in paranoia all day. And I texted my wife. I said, hey, on those little thingies, there's usually a printed number at the bottom. Because I, I, she had to take the thingy to the post office herself so she could claim the package. So, I, so before she left, I said, hey, text me that, uh, that number. So I plugged the number into the USPS post tracker. And it said, sorry, we cannot uh, track this package for you because it originated in a different country. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" So, yeah, it was. It, it, I, I'm. I still have an apartment, and as far as I know, nobody's suing me. It turned out to be something I had ordered a while back from Europe, and it ah, had just arrived. Gotcha. And that's what it was. Uh, it's Atari seventy eight hundred related. I can't really say what it is yet, but in due time, I can say what it is. But hey, so it was a really good week for me, Atari seventy eight hundred wise. Really good week for me because I learned some really cool stuff about Paperboy that you cannot find on the internet until now with the posting of Pie Factory Podcast episode 58. Oh, wait a minute. Let me retime that. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Well, I know I'm excited. Oh, me too. Yeah. So, well, what have I been playing? Well, I'm glad I asked. In fact, Um, I haven't even told you what I found out yet. No, not yet. No, I'm I didn't even totally, put it in my notes. I, I I'm even more in the dark it. than normal. Um, why have I been playing? Well, I test. I, I still haven't installed the uh, 7800 AV mod that Bobby Adad Moore uh, sent me. Uh, thanks again, Bobby. Uh, I did test out the Atari. Bobby's really cool. Oh, he's a nice guy. Um, Bobby, if you ever come to the United States, uh, we're sorry. Ad, yeah, well, first of all, that. But admission to Galloping Ghost or Underground Retrocade is on us. Yes. I'll, I'll pick up. Uh, I'll pick up Galloping Ghost. Sean will pick up Retrocade. Yeah, Pixel Blast is only ten bucks. You can pay that yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. But, but um, so I tested that out. That worked, and uh, been playing uh, Akari Warriors on the on uh, the seventy eight hundred. They did a really good job with that game. There's only one thing with that game that really ticks me off. There is no continues. You had continues in the arcade game, uh. and you could continue via a. Sp- Special secret cheat on the uh, on the Nintendo Entertainment System, but not on the twenty six or not on the seventy eight hundred version. Not even if you're playing two players at the same time. And uh, I don't know if you've ever played it, but the uh, I don't think so. Uh, the there's only four stages in the game, but they are long. I got pretty far along in Akari Warriors when I was playing it, and I still did not complete the first stage. I played it for about a half hour, and I still did not complete the first stage. And uh, it's, they're just long. I love the game. It's fun, but I just like, you know, more continues. They did a really good job with that one. They should have had the pokey chip. And again, I think I actually like the 7800 version better than the NES version, save the uh, continue thing. So I played that. Uh, I was looking around. I got some ideas. Um, I've mentioned Zelda Classic on here before, and I got an idea for a hack of uh, Legend of Zelda that I may or may not May or may not do, depends on how I'm feeling, like if I'm lazy or not lazy. And um, it seems like there was something else. 
I've stopped playing Sudoku on my phone because I just got frustrated <laughs> with it. And now I'm, I'm doing I'm deep into a Kakuru game, actually. Yeah, I've been playing Nonograms actually um, Ooh, on my uh, phone. It's a, a puzzle where um, you got a grid, and at the top of the columns and left of the rows, it'll give you a number. And depending on if you're playing a black and white or color version, the number will be encased either in black, white, or a color. And you have to guess from the clues where the color goes in the grid. And eventually revealing a picture. And uh, they could do anything really easy from like a smiley face to one that I started, which is like some photorealistic image of a celebrity. And um, I've been getting really into that again. I... um, I don't know if I've talked about them before. There's, uh, I think I have Everett Kaiser Software. They do uh, puzzle games for the PC and now uh, and uh, and smartphones. Uh, they've been doing. They had a game Sherlock that was out in the early '90s uh, for the PC. And they're still around. He's still doing stuff. And I first got interested in these puzzles. He had two uh, puzzle games. One was called uh, Descartes Enigma, which was which are black and white nanograms. And then Descartes Rainbow, which is the which are the color nanograms, and I started playing those like 15, 20 years ago, and um, I just recently got back into those and again and uh, wow, those are fun. Those are good for a good challenge. Um, the only problem is uh, when your tele when your uh, cell phone screen is cracked, you don't kind of want to like swipe. Um, yeah, I've got my cell phone glass replacement kit sitting here. I might Ooh, work good. on that tomorrow. So uh, it doesn't look like it's actually that hard. I just uh, need time and place to do it, and I think I'll do it at lunch at work tomorrow. But there you go. So I haven't really been playing a whole lot, although I did um, play a little bit of uh, one game we're going to talk about tonight, oh. a, a home version of one of the games we're going to talk about tonight, I should say. Oh. So uh, there's that. And um, have I been playing anything else, really? I've been playing a heck of a lot more Two Tigers. <laughs> oh, man. I, 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 I am addicted oh, dude, to that game. You that said you were going to check. You said you were going to check Two Tigers to see if I was right about that, about the, how the non-conversion version does not have parachutes. You know what? I think you're right on that. Um, I thought they came out every now and then, but um, okay. I've, not, I've, not, I've not encountered it. Okay, so, well, okay, at least from your own experience we have somewhat of a confirmation then somewhat i could be wrong as much as i liked it i haven't played it since the last episode but oh you know i did try playing donkey kong again because the thing is i couldn't figure out for the life of me how to get past the elevator stage starting with i think level four is it or maybe Mm -hmm. it's level five it's level four i finally figured it out really yeah that makes one of us there's a lot of vibe to it. Like you have to feel the vibe and then go with it. And I, so far I, I save stated it in MAME right to the point where you get to the very top and you have to carefully plan out your spring strategy. And Mm -hmm. now every time I can get, I can get past it. So I was happy about that. Oh, the other thing I should talk about pixel blast just had its one year anniversary on the first of July. I went to pixel blast for that. And uh-huh. man, they they were jam packed. They really were. Like first of all, do they much- have? I saw a picture uh, on Facebook. It was either t- today or yesterday uh, from Pixel Blast. 
Have they moved the games around? Do they have a lot? They have more games in there. They they absolutely have more games around. And the, okay. the thing is, like earlier that day, earlier that morning, Saturday, July first, Tim McVeigh he got there early. I think they let him in early because he really over calculated how much time he'd need to get there. But uh, what he they let him in a little, like maybe about half hour before they opened. So he did a live a Facebook live thing where he basically mm-hmm. showed all the games there. And I was like, Holy crap, they got a lot more since I've been there. And I hadn't been there since literally the day they first opened Tim McVeigh said I was there later and they still have a lot more games than I was there, <laughs> but yeah, they get, they got more, they have a lot of co- Well, I don't know if I want to say a lot, but they have like three or four cocktails. They have, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't remember which ones they have um, Tetris on a cocktail table for sure. Mm-hmm. They now have a Neo Geo with three games, at least three games in it, one of which being Bust a Move, which I played. And oh. you know what? I think I know why you weren't as crazy about the music as I was. Oh? Because the sound system on that cabinet doesn't really sound all that good. It's like maybe it's slightly better than AM radio quality. Mm-hmm. But when you're playing it, say, on a GPDXD, and you have a good pair of headphones hooked up to it, it's going to sound really good, and that makes all the difference in the world. Well, remind you, though, when we were doing the episode, I was playing it in emulation because I, I can't get up to, to the arcades as much as you can. I mean, you, you live relatively closer to uh, to Underground Retrocade than I do, and you definitely live definitely closer do. to Galloping Ghost than I do. Yeah. So I, I can't get up, get, that, get, get out there as much as I would like to, but I, I still think the music in Busta Move 2 is better and i'm not saying that as a not saying that the music in bust a move is bad it's not at all far from it but i just like the bust a move 2 music better <sighs> that's that with me speaking of which i actually did play bust a move <laughs> last yeah. night and uh bust a move 2 actually uh, and i was curious to see what would happen what happened if you uh, complete uh, one whole like level you know bust move 2 has that like selection thing like you know you're doing your like your, I don't know, football brackets or whatever, and um, it just says it just says something like, "You have found the treasure box," and then it goes to the high score screen and game over. <laughs> kind of, kind of uh, anticlimactic as some yeah, right. uh, some games are, but uh, it's still a fun game. I, I I don't really care that the ending of, of it was bad because it's just a fun game. And oh, and, um, and that day, uh, Brian, uh, I I walked in and there's. I'm not going to keep calling him King Henry VIII because we we don't drop his name as much as we used to. But Brian Colin had a table set up outside of the arcade. I didn't know he was going to be there, and he was bent over like unpacking a box or something. And I said, "Oh no!" I, I said, "Greetings, Your Majesty." You know, because we always called him King Henry VIII. Yeah. And he said, "Is that George I hear?" He thought I was. He thought I was George Spanos. You do a pretty good impersonation <laughs> of Brian. So that's pretty good. I was like, uh, no, and he and he he like straightens up. Oh, hi, Sean. How are you? And he said, Have you met Jeff Nauman yet? And, he, and there's Jeff Nauman. But I was like, Oh, hi. Nice to meet you. So yeah, I got. I finally got to meet Jeff Nauman. And uh, at one point during that day, the two of them got up and had a little. Uh, kind of a, a, a brief Q and a, I think they were focusing mainly on arch rivals. And the reason that I'm, I, I'm guessing the reason that they were talking primarily about arch rivals is I think that is the only, uh, well, it's not really game refuge, but the only Brian Cole and Jeff Nauman game they have right now is arch rivals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
it was great. Um, I have video of that that um, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna check with uh, Brian see if uh, it's okay for us to post. Um, but it was a it was a great time. Um, he talked a little bit about the Rampage movie, and mm-hmm. uh, it's, <laughs> I had oh, he's having a blast with that. Oh my god! I mean, seriously, like if you saw how he any of you follow him on facebook if you saw how giddy he was on facebook and he's trust always me. normally giddy he, he's, he's always, always a very he's happy, always like very guy. up tempo and happy he was like off the charts giddy oh my god in person oh compare okay compared to how he was in person at pixel blast he was like borderline suicidal on facebook <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, the dude was just absolutely freaking excited about uh, the Rampage movie coming up. I mean, he did say that they changed the premise, but he said once he actually spoke with the producers and found out exactly what they were going to do with it, he said, you know what? I really like what I hear. So, Well, they're going to do it without him, but it's nice to know that it's got his, his stamp of approval. Oh, he's actually in it as an extra. Really? Y- yeah. In fact, um, the Rampage, the motion picture, they posted a... I, th- I think they got some video from somebody who happened to be walking by in Chicago as they were filming one of the scenes. And uh, they said, if you look carefully, you can see Rampage creator Brian Cohen among the people running away from the imaginary monsters. Now, we're going to have to go see this movie on the day it opens and see if we can't spot his cameo. Yeah, right. We'll and, have to uh, see I- if we can actually hook up with him to go see the movie. Oh yeah, that's that's true. I, uh, I you know what? I'd be surprised if one of the local arcades did not have some kind of a screening. Oh or yeah, some kind of a party or something. But yeah, and that's something Brian was talking about at Pixel Blast too. He said that he was talking about just how it was like one of the most exciting things in the world, being in that scene and basically running for your life from a monster that you can't really see. And he said mm-hmm. he said it was an absolute blast. You know, it's amazing that they're doing a movie based on on Rampage, and yet, uh, much to uh, Bill over at Atari Bytes' uh, chagrin, they're supposed to be doing a Missile Command and Centipede movie, but we've not heard any movement on that. Yeah. And, Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. And which podcast was it I was listening to? I don't remember if it was Completely Unnecessary Podcast or the Retro League, where they were predicting that uh, Rampage wasn't going to do so well. You know, because it very well might not. I yeah, I can't imagine it being a blockbuster, but uh, no, but, I still uh, I absolutely want to see that thing. Believe me, you know it's more of a more of a nostalgia thing than anything. Yeah, and um, but I mean it's got you know the rock. Wait, is it the rock? Yeah, yeah the rock is in it. Uh, oh wait, actually our, no, our no, it's Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson's in oh, it. Okay. I don't know. It's amazing how much those two look alike. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's future president Dwayne Johnson's. Uh, deal he's been he's the push behind it if i'm not mistaken because he loves the game or something isn't it what i've heard i don't know i don't i've heard something like that i don't know but um, i have my own ears so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing it and i hope it is a big big success and then i hope they follow up with a sequel rampage world tour oh i hope they make a pig scale although if from the uh from what i've heard about the plot it actually does start overseas so Hmm. We'll so see. maybe maybe this is the Rampage World Tour movie. Maybe, but they can always make sequels. But yeah, no, they got to make a pigskin movie. Eh, I'm gonna have to play that game more. I'm you know me. I'm not huge. The only real sports game in the arcade that I really really like is uh, Atari Football. 
Which is a game I so want to talk about, even though there's not really a whole heck of a lot to talk about with it. Well, the thing is, but, like, you got to look at Pigskin for what it is. It's not so much a sports game as it is a silly cartoon violence game. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. Because I think of all the, like, well, again, it's not a game refuge game, but it's made by the game refuge, by the people who eventually became game refuge. Mm-hmm. But of all the game refuge games I've played so far, that's the one that's made me laugh the most. I have to play it some more. I'm still tr- trying to figure out how to play General Havoc, or, no, that's yeah. right, General, General Chaos on the General Genesis. General Chaos, yeah. Yeah, um, so I, I'm going to need to find the, well, actually, I did find the manual for Yeah, I was going to say, RTFM, that's what I have to do, too. Yeah, so, well, I think that's all of that. Um, should we jump into uh, into some news, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we should um, should introduce our new segment, Everything we know about the Atari box. And cue the intro. It's time for another edition of Everything We Know About the Atari Box. Well, Sean, what do we know about the Atari box? Well, apparently there are going to be two of them. And it's going to be PC-based. And they're supposed to reveal more about it within two weeks. Actually, when this comes out, probably within a week. Hmm. So, by August, I'm assuming. Okay. So, yeah, and... Some people are speculating it's going to be a game watch, but they said no, it's going to be a console of some sort. So, well, that's it for everything we know about the Atari box. All right then. Alrighty. Oh, there is some uh, some kind of disappointing news that I saw. Well, disappointing to say the least. There's an oh. arcade in uh, Southern California, Arcade 2084. It's called, or should I say at this point, was called, because they just announced they're closing. It's in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And uh, they say, um, in the three-plus years in the location, we have met a great number of individuals from families, celebrities, world record holders, original arcade operators, as well as everyday people who also collect or just enjoy the 80s classics as much as we do. Yeah, they chose not to renew their lease, so that that's mm. why they're closing down. Their lease was up. They're not renewing. And I just wanted to mention this because it is really just seriously important. Support your local arcade if you are so lucky enough to have one. I mean, seriously, Ice and I are very lucky in that we have places we can go, we can drive to in a reasonable right. time. We have Underground Retrocade, Galloping Ghost, Pixel Blast. Um, there's uh, Star Worlds and uh, Onet, Onet Gaming. Gaming out in Ottawa, uh, and there's a place Chicago in Street uh, Morris Pinball Arcade. here. It's Chicago Street Pinball Arcade. There's a business here in uh, Morris. It's a it's basically a resale shop. They got some really cool stuff in there. They got like four or five arcade games in the back, you know, set to free play. Uh, no admission to play these machines, and I actually got the house high on their burger time at like seventy five thousand. But um, no, I don't think I scored that high. But <laughs> but uh, but anyway, yes. Uh, Definitely support them. Show them that you appreciate what they're doing. Spend some money there. Uh, if you're there for a while, uh, buy uh, you know buy if they have drinks or whatever. Buy one of those. And keep the drinks them. away from the machines. Well, yes. Or if they sell like T-shirts or a bumper sticker or something, pick one of those up too. I mean, every little bit you do helps the arcade. Yeah. And by the way, um, I have to say, I mean, I mentioned uh, Star Worlds and how I was there uh, when I went up to Bike MS. Um, <sighs> names bugging me for a moment here. Wasn't it Patrick O'Malley? I believe that's it. Um, uh, Patrick at uh, at Star Worlds, and if I'm remembering your name wrong, please forgive me. Real nice guy. Uh, not a, as I said, it's not a huge arcade, but they're still definitely worthy of your support. And they for 
the small space that they have, they actually have a good mix and variety of games. And so if you're in DeKalb, Illinois, please, please, please check them out. They're really good. Really nice people. So um, anything else? Uh, Let's get into, should we get into some listener feedback, some listener comments? And then, yeah. So, all right. um, I've got one here. Uh, from Cinecaster. Oh, hi, Cinecaster. Hi, Cinecaster. Over on the Atari Age forums. Uh, He's like from Canada, eh? Uh, Sorry about that. Well, actually, my mother-in-law is Canadian, so I can do that. Um, Talking about 1942 and 1943, um, he says, although I'm sure Vert Vic is cringing, I fully agree with you guys on 1943 being a much better game than 1942. Little known fact, official pronunciation of the latter is 1940 poo. <laughs> Wish I would have come up with that. Um, he continues, I agreed with you with just about everything you said about 1942, but after several minutes of chat, I was preparing myself to be very disappointed in the review for neglecting to criticize the discordant and meaningless jumble of grating sounds that is presumably intended, presum- presumably intended to serve as some kind of music. But thankfully, Jimmy G, yours truly, swooped in at the buzzer to rectify that near omission. Uh, thank you, Cinecaster, for the feedback. And yeah, it occurred to me they're trying to go for a whistle, but it's like having somebody blow a whistle in your ear and you want them to stop. And it never ends. It never ends. It never ends. I, WT frag. I mean, what the fur, you know? It's a booger snot, that's for sure. Yeah. So, so again, thank you, Cinecaster, for that. And um, do you have any any more uh, comments, O'Shaughnessy? Uh, yeah, we got some feedback from... Uh, we heard from him uh, last time. We're also hearing from him again, uh, Robert McNally Rafferty, who says... Uh, oh, this was on yes, Facebook. On Facebook. He says, um, talking about arcade games, depending on the type maintenance, because we were uh, just uh, to refresh anybody's memory or to introduce the topic to those who didn't hear that episode, lucky you, we were discussing in various points during recent episodes, uh, we were kind of going back and forth on how like maintenance and cost of, of uh, operating arcade games would be. And uh, Robert says, depending on the type, maintenance is variable. However, people tend to think they are killers on electricity. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I said. And he says, nope, probably about three cents an hour based on the electricity rates in my area. So that, I didn't realize that because you because th- yeah, you would think with all that equipment, you have the you have the uh, the light in the marquee, you have the monitor, you have the motherboard, possibly multiple boards, and I guess maybe it doesn't cost all that much. Uh, he says, also, my head hurts from listening to how light guns work on cathode ray tube screens. And he said, please read this, which is a how, Stu- how Stuff Works article about how light guns work. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes. We will and link you know it what? as it were. I have read that article in the past, but yeah, I forget things easily. Yeah, and and uh, just to finish out what he was saying, don't don't be con- oh actually he says don't be confused with games that are just reading the X and Y info from the base the gun is mounted to. That's that'd be like say Terminator Two and uh, Revolution X, which we uh, have made that distinction of, before. Yeah, not being critical of the podcast. Well, thank you, thank you, Robert. And, and if people want to be critical, fine. I mean, I don't I don't care yeah. critical or we not. We handle criticism know. well. <laughs> we handle yeah. it really well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. Okay. Yeah. If we're, if we're handling I'm this done. not criticism well, but, uh, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- this is one thing I, I do. I, we should disclaim more is that we're not really 
hardware intelligent in terms of the um, arcade games. We don't really no. We, we we play the games, we enjoy the games, we come back with what we find, we, we report to our listeners what we learn about the games, but one thing we don't do is we don't really dig into like how they actually work, we don't dig into the electronics that much, but there's something unique about it, like for example, a food fight, how we talked about how that uses a Motorola 68000 processor, which is a, which was very, very unusual, especially for 1983. That kind of thing we'll talk about. We'll do a little mm-hmm. bit more digging into. But yeah, we just don't know. We just don't know this stuff. So, so yeah. And uh, thank you for that link, Robert. Uh, and it almost explains it the way that you once explained it to me before. Actually, about how essentially what light guns often do is essentially take a digital picture of the screen. Right. Um, that's kind of a oversimplified way of describing it. But yeah. In in essence, those are the old ones. Uh, the newer things, like with the with the Wii and the Wii U and whatever, they 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 track them different ways. I mean, there's they, there's different ways they do it now, just because of the uh, the the way that the TVs these days are working. And um, I mean, there's but the, the classic is generally the the gun acts like a camera. Generally, I like I I don't know all the technical details, but I'll reread that article. But that's that's at least the way I understand it. So thank you for the uh, the feedback there. And uh, we actually just got this uh, feedback in from uh, Shoewalker on uh, Ooh, Atari Age. Uh, actually, just while we were recording this episode. So um, there you go. And this is about 1942 and Two Tigers. So he says, to think about it, I've seen both of these games at Perry Drugs in DeKalb, Illinois. The Two Tigers cab was even the dedicated version. Um 1942. Although I prefer 43 over this, I still find 42 enjoyable, even more so than 41, which I totally forgot 1941 was a thing, which I thought was blah. There was also a pretty rare version of 1942 licensed from Williams. Did we? I thought we mentioned that. I think we did. Did we? Um, I, we might have. Or maybe we didn't. I don't know. Well, it's mentioned now. So, uh, as far as Two Tigers, he says, this is one of my favorite belly... MCR games, just a tad behind Discs of Tron for me. I played the dedicated version at Galloping Ghost recently, probably been 30 plus years since I played it at last. I must say, after playing the Tron conversion of Two Tigers for so many years on MAME, I think I prefer it over the dedicated machine. I find the Found the Flight yokes took some getting used to, and I much prefer the Tron spinners. Uh, yeah, you know what? I agree with that. I, I, I just think the spinners work better. If you could do the, uh, the standalone ROM with the Tron spinners, I think it would just be a much... It's a great game the way it is in either cabinet, but I think it would be even better with that setup. But that's that's mm. just me. Anyway, he he continues, some notable differences in the two cabs. Uh, the conversion uses the spinner. Enemy AI uses the crosshairs to shoot you down, and you parachute out every time you're playing this hit. And the dedicated uses the flight yokes. The enemy AI uses flat guns on the ship. Plane is just destroyed when hit. Game uses audio from an 8-track tape, uh, which I remember saying I thought I had heard that. And there is also a throttle button for your plane, which I did not realize that. I'll have to check that out again when I get back to Galloping Ghost, hopefully soon. And he continues, "Um, I noticed between the two, even the use of the convoluted control scheme on the dedicated machine, I find the game much easier than the Tron conversion. The crosshairs are a beast to contend with compared to the flat guns. I'm a pretty decent two Tigers player. My high around the Tron conversion is... uh, 
around the Tron conversions, around 375,000. I scored around 400,000 on the dedicated at Docs, which was surprising and sort of supports my theory that the gameplay is easier. I would love to see a video of that 1 million score if there is one. Some of those convoys in later, later levels, especially ones with superstructures and, and cunning towers, are a nightmare to destroy quick. And then he includes a link to a video. Go to see Six Minute Mark to hear the dedicated audio. And the still image of this video, which is on YouTube, uh, actually shows a guy holding the Two Tigers 8-track. Huh. So uh, so there you go. So, so yeah, you were love... right about that 8-track. Yeah, I, now that I think about it, I think Doc did tell me that. And uh, I didn't see that in any of the sources that I saw, but I believe Doc at Galloping Ghost did tell me that when I was mentioning that the, the one yoke controller wasn't working properly on the two Tigers. But, um, yeah, so there you go. Uh, thank you, uh, Shoe Walter, for your, uh, for your feedback. And uh, maybe one of these days we'll meet up with you at Galloping Ghost. And uh, if any of our listeners ever comes to the Chicago area, drop us a line, let us know. We'll see what we can do about... Uh, do about uh, hanging out. Yeah, please do, please do. Yeah, because we like uh, to meet our we like to meet our fans, both yeah. of them. Yeah, another another piece of uh, feedback we got while we were recording from Scott Stilfin actually posted this on Atari.io. He simply says, oh. "Looking forward to your next podcast regarding the Paperboy lawsuit." Oh, yes, you are, Scott. Yes, you are. Believe me. Yes. Gee, Sean, hype much? <laughs> You're, well, I'm, since I am a rapper, you are my hype man. Yeah, I suppose so. And um, with that, do we have any addenda or errata? I don't think we do, really. Unless you consider the last email some addenda or errata. You know, it's... Or message, rather. It's funny in a courtesy laugh kind of way that you ask. Because oh? there is a... Errata. I'm sorry, erratum. Erratum is the singular. Errata is plural. Oh, uh, so uh, this goes back to episode 33, actually. Ooh. I had said that the version of Scramble on the Vectrex, you lose a life if your exhaust flame touches anything. Something just occurred to me recently. That's a big, fat, hairy, uh-uh. Wrong. I don't even think you have an exhaust flame in that game. And which one? You know what I was confusing it with uh, their uh, MC, uh, what was your name again? Just call me Ice. Ice? You know what I was confusing it with, Ice? Hmm. I was confusing it with the Atari 2600 Defender. On the 2600 Defender, that little flame exhaust that comes out, yeah, you lose a life if an enemy touches that. Hmm. Well. So that's all the uh, a, the addenda and errata that I have. Okay. And that's pretty much all I got. Woohoo! So, so, all right, so that's t- two segments already done. Man, we're rolling. This podcast is going to be done in five more minutes. Man, we, we, we're rolling them hot. So, I th- with that, we should uh, talk about some games here. Ooh. And um, since you've been teasing the Paperboy thing, I'm just going to let oh, the anticipation Lord. build further. Oh, Because I'm curious as to what you have to say, because <laughs> you were originally telling me when we were researching this episode, you surprisingly couldn't find out a whole heck of a lot about Paperboy, and then you sprung this uh, this surprise on me. But so I'm going to let the anticipation build, okay. and uh, we're going to talk about a different game first. We're not going to talk about Paperboy first. We're going to talk about Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. Ah, uh, Star Wars: uh, yes. Empire Strikes Back. Strikes Back. Yes. Strikes Back. Strikes Back. Hey, my Words name is Black. 
uh, for those. For yay, the Empire! Help. Yay, Star Wars: yay. The Empire Strikes Back. Okay. So this is an Atari game from 1985. It's a color vector game. Uses you know pokey chip for sound. It has voice clips from the movie, and uh, we'll get around to that a little bit later on. But um, first of all, the gameplay is many ways similar to Star Wars. It uses the you know the the flight yoke with the four buttons. But later, but uh, I'll explain what the buttons do because there's a little bit of a difference in the game. When it begins, you can start select from either easy level, medium difficulty, or hard difficulties, just like the original Star Wars. Uh, however, there's also an item called the Rebel Manual. If you select that, it will describe what you have to do during each stage, and then after, uh, and then move in, onto that stage. Describe what you have to do for the next stage, and move on all at the easy difficulty. So that's kind of nice that they have that because it uh, there's some differences with this game. First of all, you start with four shields by default, as indicated as by an indicator at the top of the screen. It looks exactly like the indicator. On, uh, on Star Wars, where it's kind of like, a, I don't know, like, it, it kind of looks like the Star Wars Trench, actually, if you look at it that way. So, you know, it, it's, but with that indicator, to the left of the indicator, it has your score. On the right, it has the wave number, and underneath, there's an indicator that displays how enemies you need to destroy to get a letter to spell Jedi. And I'll explain what spelling Jedi does. Uh, in, in just a moment here, there are four sequences. Uh, the first two sequences, you're in Luke Skywalker's Snowspeeder. In the first one, you have to destroy a bunch of probots and shoot down their transmissions to the Star Destroyer. Uh, and once four transmissions get through, as indicated by a counter at the top of the screen, which is just underneath your shield indicator, it will move on to the next screen. It will display Rebel Base Discovered, and then it moves on to... The Battle on Hoth. And again, you're in the Snowspeeder, and you have to destroy a certain number of the ADATs and ATSTs. The ADATs are the all-terrain armored transports, and I don't right, remember seriously, what ad- when did people start referring to them by model numbers? Because back then, back in the Ferg, back in the day, I always heard them called Imperial Walkers. I never, ever, ever heard these, these terms until probably the last well, five years Imperial or so. Imperial Walkers, but uh, I believe on the toy they called them the ADAT. Really? I don't know. I don't, I'd have to defer to my brother for that. My brother was a huge Star Wars fanatic, and he had all the toys. He would be the source for me to ask about that. As I've mentioned before, my brother's license plate reads D Vader 3. So I'll take that for what it's worth. So anyway, you have to destroy a certain number of ADATs or ADSTs. Uh, the ADATs are, or the Imperial Walkers, are the four-legged ones, and the ATSTs are the two-legged ones. Uh, you have to destroy them before they destroy all four of the power generators at the Rebel base on Hoth. The ADATs can be destroyed by a blast to a tiny target window, uh, which is only at one spot on the head of the, the four-legged ones and on the, f- on the front of the two-legged ones. Or you can destroy the, the big ones, the ADATs, by launching a tow cable and tripping them, which is fun. And you can also fly between the legs of the large ones for big bonus points. And we'll get to scoring in a little bit. And once the ADATs destroy the four generators, as displayed, like I said, by an indicator at the top of the screen, it will display an image of the approaching Rebel base, and it will and it'll say Rebel Hideout, I believe, and then it'll move to the Millennium Falcon screens. Yes, you change vehicle in this one. First of all is the TIE Fighter Battle. Pretty much the same as the TIE Fighter Battle in Star Wars, uh, except, again, to gain a Jedi letter, you have to destroy a certain number of TIE Fighters, and after... And there's no uh, Darth Vader in his TIE Fighter because there was no Darth Vader 
in the TIE Fighter in Empire Strikes Back. After the sequence is over, it will display an image of a Star Destroyer, and then we'll move to the asteroid field. And basically all you have to do, can't shoot anything down. In fact, I think it actually disables your lasers, your, your buttons in this. Oh, um, I forgot to mention, the battle on Hoth, your uh, triggers fire your lasers, but your thumb button will f shoot your tow cable. So, and only in that screen do the thumb buttons serve a different function, which is it's nice to have an additional weapon at your disposal in this game, even if it's only on one screen. So, um, yeah, back to the asteroid field. Uh, you basically, just got to maneuver around the asteroids. It's a little hard to determine when you're going to get hit by them or not, but after a certain amount of time, it will display the Millennium Falcon moving away, and then if you make it successfully through the asteroid field, which I don't believe it matters if you lose a shield or not, it will give you a Jedi letter. And then it will display an image of Darth Vader, tally up all of your bonus points for the four-screen sequence, and it will award you extra shields if you earn them. And you only get four of the tow cables in the Hoth sequence. I have in my notes here three, but no, it is four. Now, power-ups. Okay, this is uh, where the spelling Jedi comes into, into play. And like I said, in the first screen, you have to destroy a certain number of the of the probots or probes. <laughs> and in the second sequence, in the battle on Hoth, you have to destroy a certain number of walkers. In the TIE fighter battle, you have to destroy a certain number of TIE fighters to get a letter. And you just got to make it through the asteroid field to gain another letter. And once you spell the word Jedi, you are invincible for a short period of time. And then you get a 10 times bonus multiplier on shooting down probots at... ATSTs, NATs, and TIE Fighters. So, you got that going for you. Mark your bingo card. Now, here's your scoring. Probots. Again, remember, Probots, Ada, the Walkers, and the TIE Fighters, 10 points if you spell Jedi. Probots, you get 25 points. If you shoot down a fireball that is shot by the Probots or the Walkers, you get 3 points. Uh, if you shoot down a Probot transmission, you get 5 points. Uh, you shoot down the two-legged walkers, you get 50 points. The four-legged walkers, you get 75 points. Uh, flying bonus. Uh, if you fly between the legs of a walker, you get 5,000 points. And each additional time you do that, you get it, you know, it multiplies, which I didn't, couldn't find out how many, how it multiplies. And even when I was playing it, I wasn't really paying attention. Um, you, oh yeah, the star shot, you uh, shoot one of those down, and that is the bullet that the uh, the walkers shoot. It looks like a star at seven points. Shoot down a TIE fighter, you get 100 points. And if you complete a wave, you get 2,500 points. You get 5,000 points for every Jedi letter you earn. And you get an additional 20,000 points for spelling Jedi. If you start on wave two, which is the medium difficulty, you get 100,000 bonus points. Or if you start on hard, you get 250,000 bonus points. No console ports of this game, but it was on most of the home computers of the day. The ZX Spectrum, the Commodore 64, the Amstrad CPC, the Atari ST, and the Commodore Amiga. On the Amigos podcast, they actually covered all the Star Wars games for the Amiga. And they said that, uh, if I, okay, if I remember correctly, they said both Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back are basically arcade perfect well, I know the Atari ST version was pretty much arcade perfect because I had that. Um, I'm not, not going to reveal where I first played it just yet. Oh, but, uh, there's some interesting Dun, dun, dun. Uh, there's some interesting trivia with this game. Um, it was only sold as a conversion kit for the original Star Wars. And um, there was a, a kit for the, uh, the upright version and for the cockpit version. 
Only 544 kits were ever produced, and they sold for 595 bucks. And it's interesting because I was, doing so, I was doing some more reading about that, and it makes perfect sense why there weren't that many of this game out there, is because in 1985, uh, Star Wars in the arcade was still pretty much a moneymaker for Atari, because everybody loved it, because it followed you know, the, the, the plot of the movie, and uh, Star Wars is widely considered by the magazines of the day one of the best arcade games of all time, from the 1980, what was it, 3 perspective. So, you know, I can see why, you know, why would you take a moneymaker out to replace it with an unknown commodity? So it's totally understandable. And this is also interesting. This is Star Return of the Jedi is the second Star Wars movie, but it was the third Star Wars arcade game released by Atari. Return yeah. of the Jedi actually was released in 1984. That's a game we actually have to get to talk about at some point, too. I have really have opinions on that one. So, and I just found this out today. According to my research, this is, I think, the last vector game Atari released. I think you're correct in that. Because uh, it was released in 1985, and I can't find any vector game Atari released after 1985. I that was, was thinking, 85? I thought it was 84. Yeah. No, 1985. Huh. And um, I was thinking perhaps Major, maybe Major Havoc was released after this. No, that was released before it. And as just like Star Wars, there are a lot of voices from the movie in this uh, in the game. Uh, Luke will say that armor's too strong for blasters. That armor's too strong for blasters. C-3PO. Between ourselves, I think Master Luke is in considerable danger. Between ourselves, I think Master Luke is in considerable danger. Han, droid of some kind. Droid of some kind. Uh, Vader, the Force is with you. The Force is with you. Again, Vader. General, prepare your troops for a surface attack. General, prepare your troops for a surface attack. Luke, go for the legs. It might be our only chance of stopping them. Go for the legs. It might be our only chance of stopping them. The Emperor, he could destroy us. He could destroy us. Vader, you will join us or die. He will join us or die. Uh, Luke, may the Force be with you. May the Force be with you. Luke, there's a meteorite that hit the ground near here. There's a meteorite hit the ground near here. Uh, Rexon. I don't know who that is. We've picked up something outside the base. We picked up something outside the base. Vader, that's it. The rebels are there. That's it. The rebels are there. Vader again. Set your course for the Hoth system. Set your course for the Hoth system. Durlin. Character I don't know. Shield doors must be closed. Shield doors must be closed. The Emperor. The son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi. The son of Skywalker must not become a Jedi. Re Gone again. Start the evacuation. Start the evacuation. Vader. That is the system, and I'm sure Skywalker is with them. That is the system, and I'm sure Skywalker is with them. Luke, use your harpoons on the tow cables. Use your harpoons and tow cables. And trench. We have spotted Imperial walkers. We have spotted Imperial walkers. And uh, that's about all. I don't remember any spotted Imperial walkers where they look like Dalmatians or something. Or maybe they look like leopards or something. I don't, I don't know. know. Butter with legs or margarine with legs. I don't know. No. But uh, that's all I have to say about the basic of the game. So, Empire Strikes Back. Um, I'm really not 100% certain. I loved it on the Atari ST. Don't get me wrong. But... Um, I don't, I don't know really what I think of this game. It's not bad, but I think what it is is I, I think the problem with this game, 
is it follows the plot of the movie too closely. Really? The Empire Strikes Back is the least action-heavy movie of the original Star Wars trilogy. The only real action sequence is the, uh, is the first section on Hoth, where they're battling the walkers, and that is a classic scene. And I think the first two sequences of this game, where you're fighting the probots in the first one, and then you're fighting the walkers in the second, are so much more fun than any of the levels in the first Star Wars game. However... The second two levels where you're battling the, uh, the TIE Fighters, first of all, we've already seen that in the first Star Wars game. They don't need to have it here. Uh-huh. In fact, it's the fact that you have... And, and actually, there's less to the TIE Fighter sequence in this game than there was in Star Wars because Darth Vader's ship isn't in this game. And you don't have like the, the Death Star in the background knowing that you're going to go there or anything. And it's it's... The, the, the TIE Fighter scene in Star Wars was done better. And then the asteroid sequence is just a big so what? I mean, you're just dodging stuff and there's like nothing to it. And it's like the first two sequences of... In, like I said, Empire Strikes Back is not an especially action-heavy movie. Especially when it comes to spaceships and stuff. And I think that really hurts this game that they actually followed the movie too closely. The first two sequences are just brilliant. I love them. I could play those two first sequences over and over and over. Maybe the TIE Fighter sequence. But then it's like they get from these two amazing levels to these two kind of eh, levels. It's, it's like the Alien trilogy of films. The first two, or the, for the original alien, four Alien films. The first two are brilliant, and the second two are like, eh, and what the heck? I don't know. I, I like the first two sequences. I love them. If it was just those two sequences, this would be an easy five game, in my opinion. But since it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really having a battle of oh, really where to there. place this, to rate this game. Yeah, you see? And I don't know. Oh, and a little hint, something I found out. Try not to spell Jedi on the asteroid field wave. Oh, because. Because, well, it's displaying the Darth... Because I said it, uh, you, have a unli- you have a limited amount of time that you're invincible. And what happens is that it starts right away once you get the letter. And if it's pausing for any sort of an interstitial, it's still going down. And that interstitial is longer than the rest of them. And so you're losing more invincibility time and less time to score. Because don't forget, there's a 10, 10 times bonus. So I would say screw it up on one of the first couple of scenes... Because if you make it for the asteroids, you're going to get it anyway, whether you lose a shield or not. And then gain it on the next walker screen, because the TIE Fighters are actually worth a lot more. And, um, you know. I know. That sort of, that sort of thing. That, would be, that, that, I think, is a better strategy. And actually, it might not be a bad thing to wait to try to gain the, the Jedi thing, uh, the Jedi letters at the end of the TIE Fighter screen, because then you're invincible for the asteroid field screen. And that, that screen... Like I said, you're just dodging asteroids, which just look like... You know the Amiga Boing demo? Oh, yeah. It kind of looks... The asteroids sort of look like a vector version of that in a way. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but, I mean, they're they're boring looking. Oh, they look like the puzzle Rubik's Magic Snake. You ever seen one of those? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's what the asteroids look like. That's exactly what they look like. So, and basically, in this game, you have best... to watch out for those magic snakes. Watch out for snakes. Indeed, you do. And, yeah, so, I don't know. I don't know what to think of the game. I, it's it's kind of hard to place this one because it starts off so brilliant. 
and then it's just kind of a letdown. I don't know. So what are your thoughts? Not a lot. I, I don't have a lot of thoughts on this. And when I played The Empire Strikes Back, I, the only thing, I, I just couldn't get past much because I started playing it and I'm thinking, so basically I'm playing a reskin version of the previous Star Wars game. It felt too well, similar to me. I, I was like, yeah, I already I, did this. I can this. understand that. Especially, but they, I think they changed up the first two screens enough by saying you have to destroy these many before this event happens versus, you know, just going through and, and uh, just, you know, you're in the TIE Fighter screen for a certain amount of time, you're on the surface for a certain amount of time. You actually have a goal, and you can extend those sequences through skill and actually rack up some pretty impressive points by holding off the inevitable event. Uh, that's not so much the t- second two screens, which the second two screens have more in common. Well, obviously the third screen um, has more in common with the original Star Wars than the first two. Th- I think they changed up the formula enough in the first two sequences to differentiate itself well from the original Star Wars. But I understand where you're coming from. But yeah, I mean, really, I don't really have many other thoughts on it. It's, I don't, It just didn't grab me. I mean, the graphics, I, the graphics, I kind of sort of like, but again, they just looked too, too, too familiar. It really did. And, and familiarity, you know. I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering what your opinion would be if they would have replaced the last two sequences with something different. Because the, the, the TIE Fighter screen is a stripped down, it, it really in my opinion, doesn't play as well as the TIE Fighter screen in the original Star Wars. But like I said, the other two sequences, the first two sequences, in my opinion, just are really good. If they would have originally maybe tacked those two sequences on to the first Star Wars game, I think the original Star Wars game would have been a huge, massive, would be a lot better than it's regarded. And it's regarded extremely well, as I said earlier. But they killed themselves, as I said, by following the movie too closely and putting two sequences that really aren't... Maybe, I'm wondering if maybe if they got rid of the asteroid sequence, if this game would have been a lot more exciting, because that's just kind of a stupid sequence. But, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I don't know. It's, it's... <laughs> but, if, I guess, I don't know. I mean, it's colorful. It, I mean, it's, it's a, very a colorful, nice game to look at. Sure. I love the walking motion of the walkers and the probots. And that's something else I got to talk and, about there. I was not happy with the with the uh, walker segment. I really wasn't. Oh? Because, and you know what? I think the guys on the Amigos podcast talked about this, too. It was all too easy to take those things down. I see what you did there. Because that's a line that Darth Vader said, actually, in Empire Strikes Back. Oh. When he thought that Luke Skywalker went into the thing of carbonite, but he actually actually flipped out all too easy. Oh, actually, I, I don't even remember that. So, um, <laughs> but well, seriously, so that was just a kind just, of a. All he had to do was fire, and boom, they're down. I seem to remember that in the movie, you had to do a hell of a lot more to, to well, knock those things over. You had to, to like fair, tie the legs. To, you had to hog tie them, basically. Well, in the movie, they, uh, they 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 fired the thing and then they had to fly around them. Yeah. Given the technology of the Basically day, make them I don't trip think that they could have done that. I think they did the tow cables the best they could with what they had. And as in a game, you can't just destroy. You, know, you, you can't have indestructible 
things like that, especially in, especially in a game like this. You have to find a way to destroy him. So they put the window on him, and I believe that they did do a few window shots actually in the game, and or not in the game, in the movie, and I th think that, it, that it, it successfully killed them. Actually, I don't have Star Wars on DVD. I have them on VHS. I don't have them on DVD, so I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Uh, and I know that there was a sequence where, you know, Luke's snow speeder crashes and he fires a the thing up to the the top and he goes in and he uses his lightsaber and he throws a bomb in it or something like that but the the problem i have though isn't so much that with the walker sequence it's still good but because you're flying around the first two sequences of this game are different from the first couple and well really from from the tie fighter sequence and the the trench se sequence and that you're not really on a rail going forward because if you change your direction, you by flying around, you actually can get behind the walkers and then you got to fly around them to shoot the window on the front. And that's kind of, a, I mean, I, again, I understand what they were doing with that and it make, gives an, another level of challenge to the game, but it is kind of disorienting because you're not really expecting to suddenly have the walkers to appear behind the walkers, you know what I'm saying? But I, I but all in all, it's a, it's, a, it's a very strong sequence, and as I said, the first two sequences need to be in a stronger Empire Strikes Back game at the very least. Scrap the final two segments, put a stronger third se sequence in there, do something different with it, like kind of like what they did with the, the, what Sega did with their Star Wars arcade trilogy game, and put in maybe a lightsaber battle in vector graphics as kind of a, you know, and and thing there because that's how the movie kind of ended. You know, but the battle between Luke and uh, Darth Vader, and I'm sure they could have worked with that because, you know, do it in a simple in a in a simplified form. But the way it is, this this game starts out very very strong and ends very very weak, and that's you know. I don't know. That's about all I have to say. I, I had to force myself to not just rage quit the game well not rage quit but just bored quit the game and i th i think i i can boil it down to a few things number one looks too familiar looks like the original star wars to me number two well, it is a conversion kit so number well yeah and which just kind of makes helps make it a little bit lazier than it could have been number two true it's kind of sort of a rail shooter and I'm not, I'm not a fan of rail shooters i'm not they it, give you more freedom, though. I mean, yeah, the, it's the, more the freedom than, say, Terminator 2 Revolution sequence, X, but, yes. you know. But still, it's like, yeah, I, I need to be a little bit more independent. And number three, I'm just not a huge Star Wars fan. I'm, I'm really, I mean, I like Star Wars. I've seen the original yeah. trilogy. I've seen The Force Awakens, and I plan to see the next one. I really want to see... Uh, the other, oh, damn it, I forgot the name of it. The one that was just out. Rogue One. Rogue One, yeah. Rogue One. And I do plan and to really watch awesome the... really awesome movie. As, and as much flack as they get, I do want to see the uh, the three prequels. But No, you don't. The thing is, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm just not into it enough to really care, I guess. So that's why when I, well, when I rate this game, it's not going to be as low as I normally would because, you know, part of my opinion on it is just my kind of passive opinion on the Star Wars saga. Right. Well, I mean, that's understandable. I think Star Wars, the original Star Wars game appealed to more people because everybody knew, knows Star Wars and uh, 
I mean, the Death Star battle sequence is iconic. Even if you've never seen the movies, you've seen clips of, of it somewhere. And not so much Empire Strikes Back. They had less to work with with Empire. The only thing they could do is the battle on Hoth, and uh, they couldn't make it just basically a, a ripoff of the Empire Strikes Back game for the Atari 2600, which in its own way is a decent game. But um, I don't know. Do you have any high scores for this game? I don't. I didn't really score that high. Ah, well, I didn't keep track of my scores either. Other people, however, have scored highly. And let me see who those people are. According to Twin Galaxies. So, uh, actually, Uh you know what? No, I'm going to go alphabetical this week and start with Orcade.com. Orcade.com's highest score on The Empire Strikes Back was performed May 7th, 2016 at Underground Retrocade. During the Retrocade's annual May the 4th tournament, and that record is 308,000, I'm sorry, 384,106 performed by Pete Gores. Uh, Underground Retrocade's uh, uh, has Empire Strikes Back in a uh, in a multi-cab with uh, Star yeah, Wars. It, I mean, they got both both boards in the, in, a, in a Star Wars cabinet. Yeah. And just uh, just ask Scott to uh, to flip it over to Empire for you if you want if you want yeah. to play it. I think he also has a Berserk machine that's the same thing. Like, like uh, he has a Berserk well, board a couple and a of machines Frenzy. Like that. But the Berserk with, with um, Frenzy, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I think those are the only two. Um, if you want to play the other game, you just ask him and he'll uh, he'll do it. He'll work his magic. And uh, according to Twin Galaxies, David Palmer has the world record at 1,556,836. And that was verified June 17th, 1985. Wow. So can you now say we're, uh, sorry to step on your toes as you are the moderator tonight, but can you now say where you first saw slash played The Empire Strikes Back? Yeah. uh, The first place I ever played it in the arcade was actually at uh, Underground Retrocade last year. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, they also have it at Galloping Ghost. They recently yes. acquired it at Galloping Ghost. They have it in a cockpit model. Oh, right. Which, yeah. uh, last time I was there, it was, uh, it, I think it had, a, had monitor problems. But uh, the last I heard, they, uh, it's, it's, it's up and working at, at the Ghost. It's actually in one of the last I was, time I was there, it was in, sitting in one of their expansion rooms. Uh-huh. So, uh, so they do have both machines. I, their Star Wars is a stand-up, and the Empire is a sit-down. Seriously, I didn't even know there was an Empire Strikes Back game until Underground Retrocade got it. I remember seeing advertisements for it in magazines, uh, actually, and I was so excited to hear about it, but like, waiting, 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 and no arcades were getting it. Little did I know it was only available as a conversion kit. And, um, and then so I eventually bought it for my Atari ST, and I played the heck out of it. I loved it on the Atari ST. And uh, you know what? I think it actually worked better on the Atari ST really? than it does in the arcade. Really? Now what, that I think about it. you use a mouse in that? Yeah. Huh. And that's how I had to play it at home because I could not get the uh, the, the analog controls set to uh, huh. to my liking uh, in MAME for my uh, my game pads. Which, rant here about MAME, they need to find a way to turn off the auto center on analog controls because that's that's what was pissing me off about trying to play Empire or Star Wars or, or many other games. Uh, I actually didn't have that problem with the next game we're going to talk about, but uh, I haven't have had the problem with that hmm. and, and like Terminator 2 and, and, and all those other games. They need to have a way to do that. Setting auto center speed to zero doesn't work. Huh. Wow. 
But using so, a mouse was easier. My using a mouse on the Atari ST was easier than using the flight yoke. That's yeah, crazy, man. I think so yeah. Well, I mean, you, you think about it. The game is a point and click game. It, yeah, right? yeah, you, it really your, is. Your crosshairs. Yeah, that's your, your crosshairs yeah, yeah. are a mouse pointer. And you know, I still haven't had a chance to try that on my GPD XD yet. I played it on my computers, but on my G- oh, dude, one thing I, I I've I've mentioned my GPD XD a lot. And I do love that thing. I did find a problem uh-huh. with it though recently. I got, uh, you can connect it to an external monitor or TV set with a USB cable, or not a USB, with HDMI mm-hmm. cable. Once yeah. you do that, that introduces very noticeable lag. So for most really? games, it's almost unplayable. There's like a half a second delay, and it's, ah. I've heard of actually problems with the NES Mini with uh, some HDMI lag issues. But, oh well. But, oh well. As a handheld, that's what you got it for, right? Yeah, really, really. Yeah, and and besides, I mean, you could do other stuff on it too. So you might be able to have other applications that won't. I mean, have yeah. Like. Well, yeah. I mean, it's essentially an well, it's, a, it's an Android tablet. Again, though, really. If you're not playing a game, if you're not playing a game, why would you hook it up to your TV? Oh, if you wanted to watch a movie or something. No, yeah, that's true. In, in which case, lag wouldn't really be an exactly. Issue. Yeah. So, but hey, anyway, um, oh, so speaking of any rate, go ahead let's rate. rate this, shall yeah. we? Yeah. What do you say? All right. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to bump it up a notch because part of my passiveness with The Empire Strikes Back is that I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. I don't dislike it. I just don't hmm. really care that much. But for the game itself, I'm going to have to say three continues. And I'm going to have to agree with you. I really, as I said, I really love the first two sequences. I think they really did a good job of switching the, you know, the Star Wars formula around a bit. But then they regressed in the last two stages of of every wave, and I'm like, and it, and it just it just ruins the game. They followed the movie too closely, as I said a bazillion times now, and I repeat myself over and over and over. Otherwise, these shows wouldn't be ninety minutes long, and. This is not a. This Empire Strikes Back is not a movie. If you're going to make a game that you want to follow to the letter, that's just all. That's just all there is to it. I mean, people bemoan how some games don't follow follow a movie closely or whatever. Like maybe like uh, for E.T. for instance the 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 Star Wars platformer game uh, on the NES and the Super NES. Some people have said, well, it doesn't follow the movie close and close enough. I've heard that complaint. This game follows Empire Strikes Back too closely. And that's its. That is this game's biggest downfall. And there we go. There's my opinion. Okay. I'm proud of myself for that. Good. Good. You should. You should be. Damn straight. So why don't we move on to Paperboy? Oh, why don't we move on to? Uh, wow. How's that for a segue? Ah, uh, Paperboy. Yay, Paperboy. I guess. Um, ah, yay. Ooh, Paperboy. Should I, should I be the one talking now? I guess. Is that how it works? Uh, yes, you should. Okay. Be. Well, um, Paperboy. Yes! Oh, bless you. Uh, Paperboy was a game, a arcade game, released in April of 1985 by Atari Games, which was a division of Namco America, and actually is not related to the Atari Corps of Sunnyvale, California. It's essentially a separate company. So, even though it's by Atari Games, it's not Atari, 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 if you will. And uh, Paperboy was designed by a team that was led by a guy named Keith Fury. And the other people on the team were Carl Bedard. And one source that I read credited some single name 
guy or gal whose name is spelled E-O-I-N. I don't know if that was a typo or what, but I couldn't find any kind of confirmation on that. But other people on the design team were John Solwitz, or is it Solvitz perhaps, who also worked on 720, 720 Degrees, that is, Cyberball and Clax. Dave Ralston was also on the team, and he too also worked on 720 Degrees and Clax and Crystal Castles. And also on the design team was Russell, with just one L, by the way, Russell Daw, a.k.a. Rusty Daw. And he designed 720 Degrees, Tubin, and iRobot, which I know you want to talk about soon, Ice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, the only thing is there's a little asterisk in my notes here about designed by here. And uh, we're going to get into that a little bit later. Uh-huh. Dun, dun, Ooh, dun. cliffhanger. Anyway, uh, those of you unfamiliar with how Paperboy is played, uh, it is kind of sort of a almost vertical scroller in a way. It's You're kind of moving in an almost isometric way. But basically, you start from, you're moving upwards constantly. You are a paper boy riding a bike up the street, and you have to deliver the Sun newspaper to all your subscribers. And since you're riding a bike in the game, your control is actually a pair of handlebars. And there is a button on the handlebars, and I'll tell you what that button does in a moment. And like many other video games, you play in rounds. And each round is basically a day's worth of deliveries. The first round is Monday. And your route consists of a section of the neighborhood on the left side of the street, and there are 20 houses. At the beginning of the game on Monday, 10 of those houses are Sun subscribers. So you have to deliver the paper to those 10 subscribers. And to deliver the papers, you simply throw the newspapers at the subscribers' houses by pressing the button on the handlebars. You start with 10 newspapers, and there's an indicator at the top of the screen near your score of how many newspapers you have left. The number of newspaper icons tells you how many newspapers you have left. If you have two newspaper icons, you have two newspapers left. Wow, tricky. It, There's the new math again. I know. I know. Math is fun, isn't it? So what happens if you run out of newspapers? You know. Well, no problem. In various places on your route, there are stacks of newspapers you can ride your bike over, and that replenishes your supply. Oh, and I said uh, what you have to do to deliver the papers. It counts as being delivered if the paper lands on either the doormat and gives you a score of 100 points, or in the newspaper box that's on the house or outside the house and you'll get a score indicator of 250 points. And something that I only recently figured out is that you can actually yeah. score extra points by landing a newspaper on the doormat and a newspaper in the paper box at the same house. I was wondering. Yeah, you can I was wondering how that You can that actually worked. do that. I was surprised. And how do you know whether or not the household subscribes to the sun? Yes, how? Well, those houses will be painted in bright colors. Uh, as far as I know, it's basically a really bright goldish yellowish color or a sky blue color. Non-subscribers live in kind of creepy looking gray houses. In addition to your regular score, there is another tally at the top of the screen that's called a breakage bonus. The breakage bonus is basically points that you earn by destroying things at non-subscribers' properties. 
if you break a window with a newspaper, you will get either 100 or 125 or 150 points. I'm not sure how that score is determined, to be honest with you. You can damage statues and tombstones. Yeah, that's right. There are actually some places where uh, there are actually small cemeteries out in front of the house. Um it's that, <laughs> what neighborhood is that I, in? Uh, the same. It's in the same neighborhood. I'm assuming uh, old West Town. That seemed to be where I would think you would see cemeteries. I don't know, but that's kind of creepy. And also, just given the spacing of the gravestones, the tombstones, those must be like child cemeteries. It's like ugh. Munchkins. It's the Wizard of Oz. Cemetery. Oh man! Wow. Anyway, it's. Uh, Basically, destroy a non-subscriber's property, then you get you get some bonus points. If you destroy a subscriber's property, like you destroy a window or something at a subscriber's house, you lose that subscriber. And, uh, oh, uh, one thing I should mention, there are three different levels to choose from at the beginning of the game, and each street will determine what difficulty level you are starting with. The easiest one is called Easy Street. The medium level one is called middle road. And if you start with middle road, then your scores are actually double what they would have been in easy street. And the hardest street you can start with is called hard way. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's just get it all out here. Original. Did you notice we didn't make any empire carpets jokes in the last game. You know, the number. So, um, if you start with hard way, your score is actually triple what it would have been on easy street. So having said all of that, um, something else you can do is if you throw a newspaper and it lands in a bird bath or a dog house, or if it knocks over a garbage can, whether it be a subscriber's house or a non-subscriber's house, you get extra points added on to your regular score. Oh, one other thing I should mention. Um, I mentioned how if you cause damage to a subscriber's property, you lose the subscribe. You lose the subscribe. You lose the subscriber. You also lose points mm -hmm. off your breakage bonus. And oh. um, if you there's a like a lot of bonuses. Oh in this yeah, game. yeah. Um, if you don't have a breakage bonus yet, you don't lose. You don't go into the negative territory. It just stays at zero. And the breakage bonus does not get added to your score until you complete the day. Now, here's the thing. You are riding a bike while you deliver your papers. Your bike riding is very, very, very sensitive. If you bump into anything at all, except your stacks of newspapers or say the neighbor's flower beds, then you'll crash and you're allowed up to three crashes in a game and you're allowed an extra crash. If you score 15,000 points, I think that's the only bonus you're allowed. But um, what happens is if you run out of crashes, then basically you quit your job and the game's over. And there's a newspaper presented to you with a headline talking about how a local paper boy just quit his job. And I mentioned how it's safe to uh, ride your bike over flower beds. That's another way you can get some breakage points. You can run over the flower beds of non-subscribers for extra points. So basically that's, that's the game. You're just... Tossing newspapers, really, and avoiding things. There are so so many obstacles you have to avoid. There are dogs, dogs and cats running outside of the house. Uh, there's a break dancer on, on the sidewalk at one point. There are a couple of guys fighting, and uh, there are cars coming after you. Kids on little. Uh, now I noticed this is hilarious. Uh, I, I just noticed this today. First of all, we keep saying that you know to, to really appreciate these games, 
you got to get out, you know, to the arcade and play them because of controls and whatever. However, there is merit in playing these games in emulation at home, especially with games that have voice, because when you're in the arcade, sometimes you just really can't hear, you know, what's being said oh, because yeah. of all, you know, everything going around. This afternoon, I was playing Paperboy on my laptop, and I'll, I'll tell you why in, in just a little bit once you get to the trivia. And I got to the two guys that were fighting, and I hit one of them with, uh, with a pa- newspaper, and I never heard this in the arcade before because, again, you know, the volume levels and yeah. all the noise and stuff. But the paper boy says, "Body blow, body blow." Uh, oh no uh, way! It was a it was a freaking reference to Nintendo's Oh my punch god, out. that's so awesome! See, I didn't notice <laughs> I just that noticed either. That tonight, check it out. Seriously, like when I play Paperboy in the arcade, it's Galloping Ghost, which is a there's they have over six hundred games in there. You can't hear what's going on in Paperboy, so I never noticed that. And I play, I've been playing. In MAME, but with the sound down again. I gotta stop doing oh, that. And one thing I, I have to say, I, I hinted at it with Empire Strikes Back, is uh, playing this in MAME with your uh, with your gamepad, with your little analog joystick on it. Uh, Paperboy actually works quite well. Oh, I'm sure it sound. does, yeah. So, uh, so I'm just throwing that but out. But yeah, that's one thing I forgot to mention, is that there are voices in Paperboy. <laughs> Paperboy makes some comments here and there. And oh man, that's bogey. Man, Atari really liked doing that, like from 1983 to 1985, didn't they? Like, Firefox mm-hmm. had the voices, uh, Gauntlet 2. Uh, oh, by the way, I should mention Paperboy came out in 85, but it was most likely really designed and, and developed in 1984, as that's the date that actually appears in the game. But yeah, having said that, yeah, you can interact with the various things that are coming at you. You can throw newspapers at things. At one point, there's a a house that's actually being broken into. I've not been able to do this successfully, but I think you can actually stop the burglary by throwing a paper at the burglar. And if that happens, then the next day, uh, every day starts with a picture of a newspaper. And uh, I think if you do stop the burglar... One of the headlines in the newspaper is something about how local paper boy foils robbery or something. Yeah, yes. So that's mm-hmm. that's really cool. There's a lot of neat little touches in this game. Oh, yeah, yeah. And speaking of um, finishing the day and starting the day and all that, once you are done, once you go past every house on the street on your route, there is what they call a training course, which is basically just kind of a, a, an obstacle course that you ride your bike around. There are targets around the course, which you can throw your newspapers. Oh, by the way, I think we should have a um, edition of video game physics here. So let's Uh open that up. Let's cue it up. It's time for another edition of video game physics. In today's edition of video game physics, we examine the properties of newspapers in the video game Paperboy. You can run out of newspapers while you are on your route. And once you run out of newspapers, you cannot make any deliveries or throw newspapers until you pick up a new stack of newspapers. However, once you are in the training course, the obstacle course, you have an unlimited supply of newspapers that just materializes out of nowhere. So what have we learned Hmm. with video game physics? That if you are a paper boy and riding your bike through an obstacle course, you will have a never-ending supply of newspapers at your beck and call. And that, my friends... Well, I mean, it's not so unbelievable because I read just today that uh, the Chinese today successfully teleported an object into space. Granted, it was a photon, but still. 
you can throw newspapers at the targets. And if you hit the targets, you get bonus points. Uh, if you ride your bike up ramps, you get bonus points. Also, I think there are like little, um, mud deposits in the, in the street. And if you, uh, ride those yes. mud deposits, like ramps, you get bonus points. I mean, you can ride your bike anywhere, uh, street, sidewalk, neighbors, lawns and all that. But, uh, if you ride up, uh, ride up anything that makes a ramp, you get a bonus point or you get bonus points. But that's the um, the training course. That's essentially your bonus round. And the training course ends either when you finish it or when you crash. Once you crash, it's over. I think you get extra bonus points if you finish the course without crashing. And when you do finish the course, you find yourself at a stadium that has um, a, somewhat of an audience in it cheering you on. And, um, that is, I love you paper boy. Yep, yeah. There's somebody with a sign that says the hat. And that yep. is basically how a day goes by in paper boy. And at the end of the day, you'll get a screen that shows you a map of your route and which houses are your subscribers and your non-subscribers. And it indicates a 250 point bonus for every subscriber to whom you successfully delivered a paper. And for any subscriber you did not successfully deliver a paper or to whom you caused property damage, that subscriber goes away. And then all your breakage bonus points get added on to your score. And then you start a new day. Like you go on to Tuesday and you repeat that process over and over and over and over. And uh, that is the basic premise of Paperboy. There is another way to end the game besides crashing the maximum number of times you're allowed to crash. And that is if you happen to not make a successful delivery to any of your subscribers, you're fired. If that happens, you get fired. The game's over. And there is a newspaper with a headline talking about how you got fired. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Any questions? Oh, let's not always see the same hands. Yeah. yeah um, um, did in, in, in the Holy Roman Empire, did, was it was it really holy? Uh, thank you for asking, but that is not a question. Oh. Hmm, sorry. No, I have no questions, okay. Your Honor. Uh, um, yeah, what honor do I have? So um, there are some uh, little wacky glitches in the game that can work to your advantage. Wacky. And needless to say, because these are glitches and not really fair, <laughs> you, um, they are typically not allowed in competition play. Twin Galaxies absolutely forbids using these glitches, but uh, it's still fun to try. And before I say this, there are th at least three different revisions of Paperboy out there. And basically the revisions came out when these glitches were discovered and the revisions fixed the glitches as they were discovered. Mm -hmm. But uh, one glitch is what they call the obstacle course trick. What the obstacle course trick is, here's what you do. You finish the training course. At the end of the course, when you get to the stadium, steer the bike to the grass off to the right. I didn't mention this before, but what happens when you finish the training course is your bike kind of slows down to a crawl and then it stops and then you move on to the score tally and move on to the next round. However, if this glitch is performed, if the obstacle course trick is performed, what happens is instead of stopping, your bike keeps on moving and uh, your bike keeps moving and you see the parking lot of the stadium 
and that scrolls by, and then all of a sudden you see this weird glitchy thing right in your path. It looks kind of like a house or something, but it's it's obviously like video garbage, not too dissimilar from the split screen in uh, Pac-Man. May I ask, did you actually achieve this glitch? I did not. I tried to. and I did. I did it tonight. Oh, yeah? After the training course, there was like a big dark blob, but it was actually kind of a color screwed up version of the of the grandstand but then there were all sorts of other graphical glitches as you go through it you know and do the i went through the training course again but i didn't want to crash the game so i didn't do the glitch a, a second time yeah i just played the game normally and the graphics were pretty much all screwed up and um why don't you tell them what happens if you after you end the game successfully and you did the glitch well yeah i mean i actually watched this on youtube i saw somebody else do it i did it i, but, I can't believe yeah. i did it What happens is once you go through all that garbage that Ice just mentioned, you'll come across another training course. And if you repeat that process again, you can do the exact same thing. You'll can come across yet a third training course. And basically, if you do that, then what happens is you will get 1 billion, 79 million bonus points. And uh, what happens as a result is that when you put your score on the high score table after the game's over, the score actually overlaps into your rank number. Yep. It was so awesome seeing my name like that with the billion (laughs) points. And I did try this in ROM Revision 3 and ROM Revision 1. I couldn't get it to work in ROM Revision 3, but it worked in ROM Revision 1. Yeah, ROM Revision 3, I think, is the one that doesn't have any of the glitches. And the uh, thing is, I couldn't play Revisions 1 or 2 very well because my bike kept going to the left. So Re- Revision 3 worked perfectly for me. But uh, There's also another trick they call the Grandstand trick, and you have to be playing the street called Hard Way to be able to do this trick. What you do is after you pass the stadium after the training course, you go to the left, you crash into the curb, and there's a chance that you will get a breakage bonus of 60,000 points. And you have to do that on the hard way level, because if you do that on the middle road level, the game will crash. And I just don't think it'll work at all in any way on easy street. And also a hard way trick is the lawnmower trick. This I was not able to do at all. I actually did try this on the different revisions, but I couldn't reproduce it. But here's the way it's supposed to work. On Monday, the first day, you're going to break a window in the first customer's house, which means you're going to lose that customer as a, as a subscriber, of course. And supposedly on Tuesday or Wednesday, when you pass that house, there's going to be a lawnmower that comes out. You're supposed to let the lawnmower crash into the middle of your bike. That will cause the game to end. The colors are going to get all crazy, and you're going to get a score of 1,070,000,000. I was unable to do I The reason I was unable to do this is because the times that I tried, there was no lawnmower on Tuesday or Wednesday. I didn't feel like keep playing huh. it just to see if it would happen. So uh, I wasn't able to find video of it. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But regardless, none of those tricks are allowed in competition play, but certainly well, of uh, they're there. you can do that for amusement Impress purposes, your of friends. course. Wake the kids, phone the neighbors. And um, by the way, something I should get back to. Earlier in the discussion of Paperboy, I said that the design credits have a big asterisk. And why is that? Well, because with an asterisk, there is a footnote explaining why there's an asterisk. And here's why. June 30th, 1986, 
there was a lawsuit filed against Atari Games. I'll tell you about that lawsuit here. There was a 16-year-old kid named Robin Hollingstad. He was a paperboy. And his friend, 14-year-old Mark Caesar. They filed the lawsuit in Santa Clara Superior Court against Atari Games because of Paperboy. Uh, these, these kids are both from Redwood City, California. And in 1983, they had written to Atari and suggested a Paperboy game, mainly inspired because Robin Hollingstad was a Paperboy, as I mentioned before. They got a letter back from Atari saying, thanks, but no thanks, we don't accept outside ideas for games. Well, meanwhile, Paperboy comes out and they're like WTF, so they sued Atari. They had their attorney, Lauren Madrid, file the lawsuit, and um, that is pretty much all you will find on the internet about this lawsuit. Until now. Of all the times this you don't say... Factory exclusive. Oh, even... I thought you were going to say dun dun dun, but no. Oh, well. A Pie Factory exclusive. There is no information as to what happened. I have the information for at least one side of the story. I actually was able to reach out to Mark Caesar and uh, found out that it was indeed the same Mark Caesar who filed the lawsuit. He kind of laughed. He said, I can't believe it. I have not thought about that game in 30 years. <laughs> and um, he's, he said, That's yeah, awesome. let me tell you a little bit about that. Um, I didn't want to take up too much of his time. I just asked him a couple of very basic questions. I said, did the lawsuit work out in your favor? He said, actually, Atari's team of 10 lawyers or however many it was versus our one lawyer was just too much for us. They basically bullied us into dropping the lawsuit. Oh, wow. Yeah. He said, you know what? The little guy never, ever wins. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 30 years later, how much has changed? How much has changed? Wow, I thought I'd heard so, that they won. No, the lawsuit never happened. In fact, I mentioned on Atari Age, I I found a 16-year-old thread on Atari Age about Paperboy, and somebody had mentioned hearing about a lawsuit about Paperboy, and they're like, well, did that lawsuit ever actually happen? And someone found a newspaper article from 1986 saying that there was a lawsuit files were like, well, yeah, something actually happened. And I basically necro bumped that thread and said, does anybody know what happened? And, um, Oh shoot. I wish I remember who it was. You know what? Hold on a sec. I'm going to find out who it was. It was Atari age user J H D who said, um, and I quote, let's see, I'll check Westlaw W E S T L A W, which I guess is a way where you can look and find out information on just about any lawsuit that ever happened. Basically there was no record of any lawsuit related to Paperboy attached to those. And of course, if what Mark Caesar told me is true, then obviously there's reason for that, that the lawsuit didn't happen. They dropped the suit. And uh, he said, he said, you know what? In retrospect, we really should have fired that lawyer. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I said, well, how similar to your design was the game? And he said, they basically cribbed everything from what they came up with. Wow. He said basically the entire concept, they took it and they did add some extra features to it, but that was basically our design. Wow. And, um, Mark said that he tried to boycott Paperboy, but he actually tried it out and he's like, you know what? This is actually kind of fun. <laughs> so he <laughs> kind of forgot about boycotting it. But yeah, but uh, if what he said is true, then man, these guys got royally screwed by Atari yeah. Games uh, division of Namco America. 
So, yeah, so that's why there's an asterisk next to our um, designer credits, because for all we know, Robin Hollingstad and Mark Caesar were the designers about this game. So I was, I was just on top of the world, able to just get some more information about this. So Mark, if you're listening, thank you so much, Robin, if you're listening, Hey, if you want to share more information with either of you guys want to share more information with us, then, uh, Hey, we're, we're all ears. We're all, in fact, if you saw pictures of us, you would swear that we were nothing but ears. That's how uh, attractive we talk out of our ear hole. Yeah. Yeah. Send them a link to the show. Oh yeah, or, yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. Uh, but yeah, they they sent a letter to Atari in July 1983. Atari said, "Thanks for the idea, but we can't take." And the thing is, like this just kind of shows you how important it is. If you ever want to submit some kind of creativity to somebody, do it through some kind of an agent who can represent yeah. you, who knows the proper channels to go through, and also can basically back you up if something goes wrong <laughs> it kind of reminds me oh dude this kind of reminds me of something else um this is something that probably not a lot of listeners know about me um i don't really care for musicals i saw book of mormon the musical and i didn't really find it terribly funny i mean it was fine i just didn't think it was all that funny mm-hmm. um, it had a good message and everything I, I just didn't care for it i saw hamilton and i was like yeah whatever but I am a big, big, big fan of the show Hair. And mm-hmm. uh, when I was living in New Jersey, one the surviving author of Hair, Jim Rado, was doing a slideshow presentation about Hair in Hoboken, New Jersey. So a friend of mine and I drove up to see that. He talked about how he originally wanted to be a songwriter. And he kind of had a little thing for Connie Francis, apparently. So he wrote a song and did send it to Connie Francis's people. They wrote back and said, thanks, but no thanks. Two weeks later, he heard on the radio, a song with the exact same title of the song that he sent them. And it was called stupid Cupid. Hmm. So of course it sounds suspicious, but when you think about it, two weeks, that's not enough. There's no way that they, that they stole the idea from him because it takes a lot more than two weeks, especially back then to record, produce, you're saying it was the title and you can't copyright a title. No, but he was like, Oh man. (laughs) So I I just thought that, 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 that reminded me, it just reminded me of, of that too. And uh, so, yeah, seriously, what they say, if you see CYA, yeah, yeah, CYA, see ya. Yeah, like if if you have a song idea that you want to send to somebody, do it through a talent agent. You have a video game idea, find some kind of an agent who can work with you and pull the proper strings for you. Just protect yourselves. But uh, but yeah, but yeah, Mark and and uh, Robin they sued Atari Games for a million dollars plus a share of the profits over that, and uh, nothing ever happened because they dropped the lawsuit. So that was interesting. It was really interesting what I found out. I'm su- I'm just surprised that the lawsuit never went through because I thought I had originally heard that it did. The thing is, there's so many video game lawsuits that happened over the years that you might have been something else that went through. True. I mean, just because they filed the suit and it may have been proceeding, but you know, sometimes if you have a team, if you have one lawyer against a team of ten, they can stretch all of that out and. Oh yeah! In fact, here's Mark's exact words when I asked him: "Was the final product similar to your original idea?" He said, "Sure was. They used our ideas and even our bonus round idea." Wow! He added a couple of things, though. I tried to boycott the game at first, but I just had to try it, and it was actually fun. LOL. 
Fascinating. You heard it here first on Pie Factory Podcast. Ding. Oh, Ding. did you know, Jimmy, uh, excuse me, did you know, Ice, that hmm. besides using MAME and stuff, you can, or owning the arcade game, you could play Paperboy at home if you have the proper console or computer. Oh, really? Do tell. Yeah. Oh, sure. Certainly. If you have or had an Acorn Electron, an Amiga, an Amstrad CPC, an Apple II or an Apple II GS, an Atari ST, a BBC Micro, a Commodore 16 or 64, I would think a plus four too, because I think Commodore 16 games will run on a plus four. Uh, um, anyway, um, or an old IBM PC running MS-DOS, or a Sinclair ZX Spectrum, or a Trash 80. You could play... Um, what's the game? Oh, Paperboy, Paperboy. No Atari ST? I said Atari ST. Oh, you did? Oh, I missed that. Hmm. Or if I didn't, then I did anyway. But yes, you could play it on Atari ST. Uh, if you have the proper game console, you could also play it on a Atari Lynx, a Nintendo Entertainment System, a Nintendo Game Boy, Nintendo Game Boy Color, Nintendo Game Boy Advance. In fact, the Game Boy Advance, this was really interesting. They actually had a two games in one cartridge for the Game Boy Advance, Paperboy and Rampage on the same cartridge. That That's an interesting pairing right there. And I thought I came up with some kind of possible connection between Paperboy and Rampage, but I thought wrong. Uh, uh-huh. so Sega, Sega, the Sega consoles, Master System, Game Gear, and Genesis all had okay. Paperboy. I, and, tonight, for the first time, actually played Paperboy on the Sega Master System. Ooh, do tell. I had it on my, my EverDrive here. I just never played it until tonight. And um, it plays really well. It's very yeah. close to the arcade. The graphics are beautiful. I actually at one time owned the NES version when I had an NES way back when. The NES version sucks. Uh, it's, the graphics are just... Yeah. There's, there's no personality or whatever. But that's just what NES... I mean, unless you were Nintendo, most of the games just didn't have... A whole lot of colors and and really yeah. NES was graphic hardware was actually a lot worse than the Sega Master System hardware. But anyway, getting back to the Sega Master System, the only problem with it is the music, and that is a problem with most of the Master System games. However, a lot of Master System games you can there's a little hardware upgrade you can get for them which uh, unlocks uh, some better sound. I've been wanting to do that, uh, but not all games support it. But uh, yeah, the the Master System version is quite uh, quite well done. Uh, if you can ignore the music, so but, you know what you said about versions of Paperboy that suck. I've found that most versions do really. I haven't played the Master System version, but I've tried the most of the other ones. And uh, it, it, as m- you remember, how I was banging the Amiga Gong for years. Uh-huh. The Amiga version of Paperboy sucked as far as I'm concerned. The one that I think was my favorite, it was the first version I ever played, was the Commodore 64 version. To this day, it is my favorite version of Paperboy. It really is. Uh, it, it's implemented very well. Uh, I love the music on it. It's, uh, the music sounds almost like a rendition of Crosstown Traffic, actually. <laughs> and, uh-huh. Uh, it's very smooth playing, and uh, I just love it. The graphics and things are great on that thing. And one other home version that could exist somewhere, that may exist, is a prototype reportedly made for the Atari 7800. 
And indeed, Atari's list of planned games does include Paperboy complete with a part number. But uh, the prototype was allegedly made by Andrew Holroyd. And in Mm -hmm. fact, he even posted on Atari age three years ago because there was a thread asking if there was ever a prototype. And uh, apparently he found out about the thread and he chimed in. He said, well, I designed and completed a version of Paperboy for the 7800 and I sent it to Atari, but it was never seen again. Huh. And uh, what's interesting is he said that he very likely still had the source code somewhere in his attic. And he said, you know what, let me see if I can find it and I'll be happy to share it. And, you know, I'll post a ROM if I can. Bob DiCrescenzo said, you know what, I can help you with that. If you have the ROM, I can help you make sure it works. Mm-hmm. But, uh, apparently from what I could tell, he was unable to find it. Um, he may have just given up looking for it because he has just basically a buttload of stuff to look through. So I, I don't know. So it might still exist. Hopefully, hopefully it does. Yeah. But, um, There's so, a lot of canceled games for the 7800. I'd oh, love yeah. to see. Yeah, I'd love Junior to see Pac-Man. Com- Junior Pac-Man, a more complete version of uh, of the Rampart for the 7800. I'd like to see a more complete version of uh, a, a bug-fixed version of Missing in Action, actually, based on the yeah. Chuck Norris movies, because that actually looks like a fun game. But, you know. But who knows? Unfortunately, it is what it is. Um, oh, there were some, there were some sequels to Paperboy, uh, by the way. But oh, only do not tell. arcade sequels. Oh, these there was Paperboy two, and that was on the Amiga, Amstrad, CPC, Atari ST, NES, Game Boy, Sneeze, uh, uh, SNES. Pardon me. Sega Genesis, Sega Game Gear, ZX Spectrum, and the Nintendo sixty four had Paperboy sixty four. And uh, oh, by the way, Paperboy two. From what I've seen, Paperboy two is basically just another version of Paperboy, except you have customers on both the left side and the right sides of the screen. Otherwise it's pretty much the same game. And you can be a boy or a girl. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, many of the home versions allow you to choose the gender and, uh, there's Paperboy 64 on the Nintendo 64. And, um, I, I don't really care for that one. It just, everything looks too blocky and pointy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, like, your character looks like a series of pointy shapes, you know, and it's just too distracting. Yeah, I can understand that. I have not played them myself, but there you go. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to, but Hey, so ice, where did you first see and or play Paperboy? Well, interesting. You mentioned that, uh, because actually that's, I was just going to interrupt you <laughs> with a little anecdote. Well, the first place I saw it and played it was at the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. And every time we've been talking about the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall lately, I remember a, a month or a couple of months back, wow, it might have been last year, where I mentioned that I don't think I ever played much of anything on the left-hand side of the arcade. Really? When you walk in. It was mostly stuff on the right, but then I got to thinking about it. Bagman was over there. Smash TV was over there. There were a few others I can't think of off the top of my head. Tetris And now ones. that I remember it... Tetris was. Uh, and their and Ms. Pac-Man, what, which was a turbo version. Well, I don't remember that, but um, now I just remembered that's where Paperboy was. And so it was on the left-hand side of the arcade when you entered it. And uh, so that I, I that was the very first place I played it was there. And um, Here's the thing, though. I actually got the Commodore 64 version of Paperboy at the Louis Joliet Mall. I think it was at the Babbage's. Really? And I had no idea it was an arcade game. 
Oh, I really? Have no idea. And I, I, I go, I go to that Aladdin's castle from time to time, and I just never saw it there. I had no idea it was an arcade game until probably about fifteen years ago. Really? Huh. Fascinating. I don't remember where I first saw paper. It might have been at Flashbacks in Seaside Heights, which I talked about before, no longer exists now. And in fact, looking at arcade.com, they still have flashbacks listed on arcade.com with a note saying that they no longer exist. This is here for archival purposes. They did list Paperboy among their games. Uh-huh. Uh, I probably saw it at Yestercades in Red Bank, New Jersey, uh, one of the times I went there. I seem to have vague memories of it being there, and that's also listed on arcade.com. And I know I've played it at Galloping Ghost, and and I didn't play it very much at Galloping Ghost because I couldn't hear anything. I I don't like playing games that I can't hear if I'm actually at an arcade. Hmm. I want to hear it at home. I turn the volume down just so I can play without you know having to disrupt anybody. But you know, Paperboy was a game you saw pretty much every arcade because it was. It was that popular. And uh, frankly, it's a good game. It really it's, is. Uh, the sound is, is good. I really love the music on it. It's got a lot of neat little touches in the game. I mean, there's just so much going on in this game. In, in the foreground, in the background, most of it interacts with you, mostly in negative ways. And um, there, there's just so much going on. And like I said, when I played it here today... And I hit one of the uh, the guys that were fighting with a newspaper. And I said, uppercut, uppercut, body blow, body blow. And I'm like, there's a freaking reference to punch out. And I'm like, I wonder how much other crap like that is in this game. Um, so I'm going to have to spend some more time with this. Oh, yeah. Emulated just to find to find all of this stuff. And, um, and when I heard that, I've always liked this game. But after I heard that this afternoon, this game actually went up in my esteem. Uh, after hearing that, because you hear something like that and it makes you laugh so damn hard, you can't help but have a higher opinion, you know, of of what you're talking about. And this was already a great game. And um, like I said, I successfully did that uh, the the training course cheat, or I'm uh, not cheat a uh, 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 bug. Uh, I'm gonna try to check out the other ones. And um, this is just a great game. I mean, it's it's beautiful to look at. It's awesome to listen to. The controls in the arcade are perfect. For oh, this yeah. game. And like I said... Oh, by the way, I should, I didn't mention this, but uh, to slow down and speed up, you tilt your handlebars, oh, really. Push it forward and back. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like the uh, the Namco game years later, Prop Cycle, where you're actually sitting on an exercycle and pedaling, which, yeah, I don't want to exercise in the arcade. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's it's a fun game. The, the One of the problems with the game in the arcade is because of the control scheme, I have seen quite a few times where the control it the game's out of order because the controller's broken i haven't seen it like that it's uh, a galloping ghost it's always working when i'm there oh i think i saw it at logan hardware when logo logan hardware still had arcade games and before they moved okay they they which means they would have it now at logan arcade which i want to get up there at some point yeah me too i've never been to logan arcade but um i've never been to the barcade that's in my own neighborhood (laughs) I guess it boils down to how can you not like this game? I mean, again, the, <laughs> play one of I the saw, home versions. It's not the Commodore well, yeah. 64 version. But um, I was saying about how Two Tigers is is just a great game and how I loved that game and and it, it almost feels perfect in a way. And I mean, Paperboy I think is pretty close to a perfect game in a way. It's it provides enough challenge. Yeah, there's um, maybe some stuff that you 
that uh, might be considered a cheap hit, but uh, pretty much everything is in a pattern the way you know the way it rolls. I mean, the you know the lawnmowers come out at the same time or whatever, but uh, but there's also enough uh, random going on goings on too that uh, you know you can you can screw up and stuff as well. I'm gonna rate this a five. Really? Uh, wow. Paperboy is a great great game, and um, I was originally gonna rate it a four, but then then I remembered the whole the whole thing with the the guys fighting. And I'm like, that that just put it up a notch for me. I mean, you, you, there's just no way you can't love this game. This is a great game. I'm going to rate it four continues. Uh, the only thing that's keeping me from being five is I. it just seems that there are a lot of cheap deaths in it. Well, maybe not a lot, but it's like. If you st- well, if you stay in the lower right corner of the street, on the street, there's not enough time to see what's coming toward you. You, you got to try to stay toward the middle on the sidewalk, which that is one thing with this game. Uh, it encourages you to ride your bicycle on the sidewalk, which in many communities is illegal. It is illegal in Chicago and Evanston. Yes. So uh, just throwing that out there. It's illegal in downtown Morris. Unless you're 12 years old or younger. Yes. So, and and uh, I, give, it, it, I give parents a pass on that too. Like if they're, if they have a little kid riding on the side, I give them a pass too, you know, but I mean, obviously you park your bike, you know, on the sidewalk if you have business in the building, but that's a totally different, yeah. you know, Situation. Oh, one but. thing I forgot to mention. This is this kind of contributes to why I can't give it a five. Yeah, is that there's a feature in I think starting on Tuesday in the game that if you're not moving fast enough, a big swarm of bees will come after you. Oh, really? I've never encountered yeah. that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is if it the same moving, bees from Crystal Castles? I don't know. I that, that was the first thing that came to my mind. I was like, oh, they're doing a Crystal Castles thing here. And apparently, it was. Well, I've seen this on the Commodore sixty four. There's also uh, a little tornado that can come after you, but I never, never really that. associated it with like a hurry up kind of a thing. But uh-huh. apparently all the sources that I was able to see say that it is a hurry up kind of a thing. I wonder if that might be because I've always, I've in my test, I never generally never play the harder difficulties of, with the exception of Tempest, I generally never play harder difficulties if they're offered. Uh, so I was only playing on Easy Street, and I never encountered it. So I'm wondering if that might be on harder difficulties only. Yeah, it might be. might be. So I don't know. I'm I'm not going to look that up. Okay, then fine. Well, don't look it up. Just play it and report back to uh, the Pie Factory. Um, uh, what, what do we want to call our listeners? This should be like a term, like the Pie Charts. I don't know. No, the pie-eyed fans. The pie-eyed fans. <laughs> I, don't, pie-eyed, I don't know. The pie-eyed pipers. I, I, I don't know. Oh, the pie pipers. There you go. There you go. Yeah, the pie pipers. But uh, the pie pipers. No yeah, D. And uh, so I should talk about the high scores that that exist. Uh, both Orcade.com and Twin Galaxies have separate tracks for each difficulty level, and uh, Twin Galaxies actually has four tracks. There's Easy Street, which Edward Owen has the world record on. Verified June 12, 2017, so fairly recent, 176,020 for Middle Road, Pat Lafay, I think it's pronounced L-A-F-F-A-Y-E. Verified June 5th, 2005, scored 124,120. Hardway, Brian Koo, I think that's how it's pronounced, K-U-H. He, I think that's a guy in uh, King of Kong who goes around to, uh, uh, he was at Fun Spot, he's going around saying, hey, there's a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up if you want to watch. I think that's who was doing that. I think. Well, feedback bait. <laughs> but verified June 1st, 2006, he scored 360,761. 
Now, there's also a Grand Slam track. What the Grand Slam track is, you play all three variations, Easy Street, Middle Road, and Hard Way, in one visit, like back to back Mm -hmm. to back. And uh, Phil Britt has that record. All those scores put together, June 29th, 1986, his Grand Slam score was 1,136,435. And uh, these scores pretty much jibe closely to the Orcade.com high scorers. We see Edward Owen show up again here, performed October 10th, 2015, during Grinkfest 2015 at Greeker's Grand Palace, which I believe is in Idaho. He scored 167,212. Middle Road, a guy named Cody Burke, performed January 8th, 2010 at Richie Knuckles in Flemington, New Jersey. He scored a hundred and eight thousand one hundred and thirty six and for hard way pat lafay shows up again may 29th 2000 during fun spot two he scored two hundred and fifty two thousand nine hundred and sixty four and that was a year to the day that he had the second highest score at arcade.com used to be the first highest score now it's the second highest also performed at the fun spot tournament 173,065 so there you have it there you have it. There you have it. So, a letter opener. So, uh, paper boy. Yeah. Paper boy, oh boy. So, I think it's time we reveal the theme. Oh, yeah. Did we have somebody guess the theme? Yes, uh, we did, actually. Oh. It's from our old friend, Chris Federico. Yeah, Chris Federico. And, Incremental uh, Chris. Gonna, going to read his little email that he sent us. Oh, do read. <clears throat> The theme of the next episode featuring Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Paperboy is, of course, as follows. 1985 arcade games by Atari that were both developed in-house, that both feature mandatory forward movement and things that the player throws, and which both have excellent Amiga conversions. Wrong. Paperboy does not have an excellent Amiga conversion. (laughs) Uh, And I think you would probably argue the same thing about Empire Strikes Back. But that's because you're just not a huge fan of the game. Well, from what I hear, it is an excellent conversion. Oh, well, okay. But uh, no, that's not what we were going for, because the 1985 arcade games by Atari developed in-house, that would be easy. We wanted to go a little bit more esoteric. We'll get to that in a second, but uh, we'll continue his email here first, though. Uh, Now that I think about it, it's strange that you hurl your cables at the walker in the game, as Luke doesn't just recklessly fling the cables in the movie. It's still attached to a ship when he launches it, and we did... did discuss this and here i didn't think i was one of those star wars equivalents to the comic store guy on the simpsons worst email ever i've learned something new about myself thanks to pie factory podcast incorporated tm oh incorporated tm in fact as long as i'm what, you registered for a hole, trademark i uh, guess oh wait uh, that's not fact, registered that's only uh yeah tm is on i don't think it's registered it's just registration well it's pending. got an exclamation mark after it so huh. who knows that means not, I believe. Uh, as lo- in fact, as long as I'm digging this rabbit hole, the actual name of the 1977 movie, notwithstanding Lucas's much later revisionism, is this. Star Wars. Well, yeah, it's not A New Hope. Anyway, I'm aware that I'm probably way off with my theme guess. Eh, yeah, you were. The actual theme is probably more along the lines of Gans that we both initially played at Putt-Putt during sunny weather during after drinking milkshakes. Pretty close, actually. Eh, not too far off of that one, but I wanted to have some fun guessing anyway. How can a guy resist? Chris plus plus. P.S. Hope our next episode equals gold. Pure gold, I tell you. I don't remember that. Yeah, th- remember how uh, 
that terrible, horrible, awful, stupid, ridiculous, awful, stupid game 1942. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes. yes, Well, that's also how we ended the episode. Hope our next episode. Hope our next episode. So, well. Because 1942 sucks and there isn't a single human being on the face of the earth, be it here or in England, would ever disagree with. Bingo. I, I don't have anything to add to that. Just bingo. So anyway, and I got to yeah. say this. I got to say this. All right. A, a mini rant this. coming up here. Maybe a micro okay. rant. I really don't care what George Lucas does to Star Wars. It is his right. It's his creation. Yeah. He can do whatever the hell he yep. wants, whether he wants to add a name to the movie or change who f- mm-hmm. shoots first or whatever. He created this stuff. It's his right. As yeah, much of a right it is for it too, the Beatles to authorize a remix of one of their landmark albums. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening to Pie Factory Podcast, everybody. Uh, thank you for that thoughtful theme. feedback, Chris, and to everybody else who has sent some thoughtful feedback, such as uh, anyway, the theme. Uh, Robert and Victor and Sean. And, yeah, uh, um, I'm hosting. I'm thankful. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, the theme, though, is games that we first played on a home computer. I first played Empire Strikes Back on the Atari ST. And I and first Sean, played Paperboy on the Commodore 64. And there you go. And um, as I said, I think Empire Strikes Back was a better game on the Atari ST than it is in the arcade. But I still like the arcade, but yeah, I'm not going to go through it again. And the Commodore 64 version of Paperboy is my favorite of all of them, including the arcade version. And Sean, do we have people we need to thank? We don't need to thank, but it would be very kind and thoughtful of us to thank. And we are very kind and thoughtful. Yes. So thank you to Jonas Rulo, Art Guglielmo, Richard Valdez, Underground Retrocade, Keith Sheehan, Rory Coleman, Michael D'Angelo, Kyle Etter, Nate Lockhart, and Greg Soulblazer Polander. Thank you all for sponsoring us through Patreon.com. And if you listen to our booth announcer at the end of the episode, you will find out how you can join this elite list of people who get their names said on each episode of Pie Factory Podcast as long as they're Patreon donors. Exactly. And thank you to Steve Tui at Tuiville for Indeed. Thank working you, with us for Steve wow, Ringo. It's been Steve Arama. Wow, fifteen months already. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And with that, let us reveal the games for the next episode. Oh. Yeah. Do How tell. Crossbow and ripoff. Oh, crossbow ripoff. Crossbow and ripoff. And people familiar with those games probably already know what the theme is. Oh boy, boy, howdy, yeah. I think there's another podcast out there that's going to talk about ripoff too. Hmm. If it's the podcast I'm thinking of, I haven't list, finished listening to the episode yet. Could it possibly be an Atari 7800 podcast? Theoretically, hypothetically, I guess. Oh, okay. Ooh, well, look out for that. I said look out. Look out! Look down. Look around. Oh, wait a minute. That's yes. So, there you go. And uh, again, from uh, the... Wet wastelands of Morris, Illinois. This is ice. And from the wet, ultra humid, on and off again, stormy north side of Chicago, this is a Sean speaking. And we will talk to you again in a couple weeks. And uh, yeah, there you go. Bye. Terrace. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. 
Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. We need to get a clip from that show, from that episode. One of the greatest episodes of any show ever. I know, because it was just so nonsensical. <laughs> the Doobie Brothers in the hood in Los Angeles. I mean, come on. The whitest band of the 70s in the blackest neighborhood of Los Angeles. What's not to love? Oh, because they went to high school at that place. So. Oh, yeah, that's true. Although yeah. I don't think they were probably the whitest band now that I think about it. But they I mean, did have, Michael, I did have at Michael least McDonald one black person. Your, in Michael there. McDonald as your front man, there's enough whiteness to go around for everyone. Yeah, they did have at least one black guy in the band, I think. I think. Um, don't... The Doobies were a pretty big band, too, weren't they? They, they had yeah. like six, seven, eight members, I think. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And now, another episode of Burp Along with Sean. As the host of this week's episode, I'm going to designate the... <clears throat> yes! I've always wanted that.